Welcome, everybody. This is the Good Anime Palette Podcast. This is episode number 29. I was thinking of a good intro, couldn't think of one, so I decided, well, you know what? You're not going to get it. But you are going to get Jason as your co-host, and you're going to get Will as your other co-host. Join, as always, as usual. Way to fucking blue ball the audience, Jesus. I'm <laughs> like, sorry. I'm so ready to give you a good intro, but I'm not giving it to you today. You're going to have to check in next week or the week after. You know what? I'm so excited to be on the podcast again because I was literally, literally in my room at home for two weeks, did not go outside, didn't even like like really associate with anyone in person other than my family and i was itching to record really it's it's been it's been a rough uh past couple of weeks um particularly here in hong kong i mean socially and mentally it's like we're, we're all just trying to manage um especially with the outbreak of omicron here but so far so good we're all safe we're all healthy and we're able to continue producing more material for everybody so um yeah welcome back to the mfl podcast and let's get started with today's uh discussion or the discussion today's episode but be- actually before that uh in 24 hours of recording oh, God, yeah. will william edgelord wong is full name purposes now well yeah. yeah well technically when it's on our website too, yeah right? it's on our website so you can't hide that and it's copyrighted under both our full names it's your birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday to me in 24 hours. Happy day of your birth. That comes around every cycle of the 365 days. Yeah. it's um, it's um, It's been a very anticlimactic like, reach towards my birthday. Usually there'd be like some excitement, but because of the fact that I've been indoors like for the last two weeks and haven't really been outside or talked to many people, it's it just doesn't make any sense for me to actually like arrange something like to get friends over because that's illegal under the Hong Kong like quarantine and like social distancing measures. And also it's like, I don't want to invite people out in public because I don't want to risk people getting COVID. So why not just lay low and just, you know, just keep to myself and enjoy my birthday. I mean, I did that for my birthday in November. After, so. after, after a while, it's, it doesn't seem like birthday parties or like birthday gatherings are all that exciting. It's just it's just time and money and energy. And I'd rather just, you know, just maybe make, make a nice steak and just watch like a good amount of anime, which which we both have done. In fact, I've done a fuck ton of it the last two weeks and it's been glorious. So now for Will's birthday, I have prepared Oh, a set of gifts, a pair of gifts. These were all in the making for like three months. Yes. Uh, I had to find this thing and then find the other thing. And one of these things were, I forgot the date. What was it? 1990 something. So I had to literally talk to someone in Japan to find this thing, have them ship it to me. And uh, the other thing actually was like relatively easy. So... Will doesn't know about. Will knows I don't, about. I don't know shit. No, no, you know that there is gifts for I your know birthday. gifts, but it's also like what you're saying. You got some crazy ass 1990s like anime artifacts, like shipped straight from Nippon, and then the other thing is just like something you bought off Amazon or whatever. It's like I I don't fucking know what you got me. Hold on, it is from Nayagawa, Japan. Where? I have the address right Where the here. Fuck is that? Okay, so while you check on that, um, oops, sorry. Uh, Will, I accidentally yanked something. Yeah, you're fine. No, no, I can't hear anything. 
My bad, guys. A little bit of technical difficulty. There's a lot of wires all over the damn place. Overexcitement is on uh, your part. <laughs> You're much more excited to, to, to reveal. I'm actually kind of scared to figure out what these presents are. All right. Enough uh, foreplay. Let's talk about what we have been watching or reading. I'll go first while Will tries to figure out the name of this place in Japan. Nayagawa. No, no, um, Nageyama. I, it's, it's over there. Um, Isn't Nageyama a character from Haikyuu? Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Ka- no, Kageyama. No, is from yeah, yeah, Haikyuu. Kageyama. Neyagawa. Eh, whatever. Fuck like, it. It's Japan. All right, All right, Land of the Rising Sun. Okay, so I have been watching quite a bit. Will has watched a shit ton. Um, just, just the recap over the past month since. Since February 4th all the way through to March 4th, I've watched 240 episodes of anime along with three anime movies. Now, like, shorter, like, anime movie lengths. So, like, 59 minutes to, like, an hour or five minutes. Like, not, like, full feature-length two-hour, three-hour movies. Um, But, yeah, that came up to around 2,700 to 2,800 hours of anime or just under four hours of anime per day for over a 28-day, like, period um, I'm tired, but I, I, that's the thing. Like with, with the whole COVID situation going on and not going outside, what the fuck are you supposed to do, right? I've got Crunchyroll, I've got Netflix, I've got Funimation, and if I need to, I could use High Dive if I really needed to. I guess if I wanted to watch season three of Takagi-san. Also, you can get Amazon Prime. Exactly. Thank like, my sister coming in clutch. At, I'm not sure if we actually see any anime on disney plus yet but i would not doubt that there is because they have korean dramas on there so i guess the next step for them would be to have um animations on there but yeah like there's just nothing to do so will um i was gonna say what i've been watching but let's actually change uh topics to what you have been consuming because you have watched i'm just gonna get these out of the way first so these are these are series that i watched a long time ago and i just wanted to finish them up or at least like get up to speed like get the current um first things first um i finished watching food wars um food wars season uh one and two specifically um i think i stopped around episode nine or episode 10 of food wars about two months ago and slowly got back into it uh i really like the show the show's fantastic it's it's a fun like shonen like i say s because the, the 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 whole point of it is still focusing on like food competitions and cooking skills but when you start introducing the characters who have their own styles of cooking, their own methodologies of understanding spices and fragrances and cooking techniques, like that in itself is shonen as fuck. Now, as much as I do like those particular aspects, like I I don't like watching Master Chef or like, Kitchen Nightmares and stuff like I, that. I, I do though. I so think. Th- that's that's why like I had to knock down the score by like one or two points, but the whole like passion for cooking the flashbacks of why people wanted to cook in the first place those are like really heartwarming and i do like the the shonen aspect of it as well so in the end i, I gave parts one and part two um eight, eight out of tens on my anime list no no season one and two because yeah well, season one we now live in a world where part one and the part first, two the first plate and the second plate yes that's correct um this this is actually gonna be really confusing because when you have season one part two final season part one part two final season final part like it's attack it, on you, titan says hi it's gonna be fucking annoying um but, but that, yeah so that's 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 one thing the oh, other so thing sorry so food wars is also known as shogugeki no soma for yeah. some people 
the manga is based off of the, the same name. The same name that is published and finished. More often than not, most shows are based off of the same name. It's very rare that they end up having a different name. Kaiji isn't. But hey, look. Kaiji's um, different because Kaiji is okay. Okay, th- okay th- so now you revealed that. We'll talk about that in like a couple minutes. Okay, okay. So, um, Shogugeki no Soma, also known in English as Food Wars, is a manga that is published in Shonen Jump. So when Will mentioned, "Oh, it's Shonen as fuck," of course, because it's on Shonen Jump. Uh, it's published in English by Viz Media, and the adaptation of the anime of the manga and the manga are both completed, with all five seasons from beginning to end of the whole series. All done by JC staff throughout the years. Yeah. So, one minor criticism of JC staff, of course, is the animation quality was great in seasons one and seasons two. Season three, I watched like half of the episode, and then like this is not really a spoiler. It's been out for so long. You know that part where they go into that that Chinese like, cooking institution, and they have all those people like stir frying on walks. The animation quality immediately went fucking terrible, and I was like, nope. Stop! I'm not watching this. No, no, no. It it, it, it's it's 3D anime, 3D CGI done at its peak. Did man. not need to happen. It didn't absolutely did not need any of that. You could just have one guy stir frying on the walk, and that was it. Uh, I stopped over there. I just read everything on Wiki, and then I'm like, there's no need for me to watch the rest of it now. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a good time. I absolutely do endorse Food Wars. Uh, just check it out. It's, I, on, it's pretty much on any platform you can look on. I it, think. You, if you want to ever watch Food Wars, it is a very fun time. Do not watch season five or do not read past whatever season five starts. Because, well, uh, personally, from my point of view, the end of season four, which is uh, faithful to the manga as well. I mean, part five is all, uh, season five is also faithful to the manga. It's just terrible. I'm ready to move on to the next thing. All right, let's we go. We spent too much time on Food Wars. Uh, also, I finished up Haikyuu. Um, I'm up to to the top. Finish part one and part two. Uh, very very good. Part one was an eight. Part two was a, oof. Part uh, part two was a nine. I uh, gave part two a ten. I it's it's not it's not season three, man. It's not quite season three. It was good though. It was very very good. I mean, like a nine out of ten is like still like amazing. So, uh, not much need to be said. We've talked about Haikyuu before in the past. Oh. Same name, published by Jump. Uh, there's also English animation, English adaptations through Viz Media. Uh, dude, it's it's all on Netflix. So, well, I will add, Crunchyroll. Before we move on from Haikyuu to the top, I will ask you one question, which is, are you really hyped for what comes next? Because I, I need, I need the so, continuation so, now. So I I do, but the thing is. At some point, there's a plateau with these shows, and there's only so much it can go to the point where, like, I have already experienced such crazy highs that if I were to see any more, I don't know if I would get any additional benefit from it. So I am excited to watch what season five or to the to, to the toppest of tops or whatever the fuck next part is called to the peak. Yeah, but like I'm. I'm I'm okay. Like if I have to wait like another year or two before the next part comes out, that's fine with me. I I'm I'm not that fussed. All right. I think also because there's a huge delay between to the top and season three for me, um, it made more impact. That's all. Is, is production IG working anything else right now? I don't know. Ghost in the Shell. 
what's uh, 20, uh, 20 2045 part two or yeah whatever. exactly yeah maybe okay okay kaiji let's go um kaiji is fucking great it's a essentially a gambling and sort of if you've ever like watched you've ever read um liar game you're asking me yeah, yeah. yes yeah that it's basically that but better because of the fact that Whenever you look at these kinds of like life or death gambling games, gambling competitions, um, it's it's always very very clear that no matter the situation, the protagonist is always going to win. They always have plot armor on them. Not in Kaiji though. So Kaiji uh, is essentially well, it's a manga that's got many 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 parts, but only two of them uh, have been adapted. Uh, and only two of them are also in English. Uh, the rest of them are still in Japanese, and like the latest part right now is uh, still ongoing. But it's been running for well over like 16, 17 years. It's actually incredibly popular. I've actually pulled out some stats uh, because one of the games that is very much focused within Kaiji is Pachinko. And I found that the Pachinko machines that are Kaiji-themed are like within the top 15 like uh, top-billing machines um can you guess which is number one demon slayer nope not even close it's fist of the north star because it had a fucking 20 year head start so <laughs> that's why um but yeah so the, the the whole focus of the show is based on this main character kaiji uh he's just a bum right has always had bad luck with things cannot hold a steady job can't maintain relationships and always falls for really easy devious plots to essentially ring him drive all his money by giving him the promise that he'd be able to gamble his way to freedom but there's always like as with gambling especially when you're gambling at a casino it's very easy to think that you have a chance to win big not true because no matter what the house always wins as long as the odds are stacked against you you're never playing to win you're playing to break the system and that's what happens throughout the whole series both part one and part two um i i don't want to go into too much depth because it just spoils most of the series but as kaiji starts growing and growing throughout the series you start realizing that this guy is like he he, he turns from being this person who tries to trust everybody to be able to succeed in life to become a little more cold a little more devious a little bit more conniving um it it definitely dives deeper into like the depths of like human immorality uh i absolutely love it it's 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 not like crazy edgy but you definitely see like the worst in human beings um it's it's a fun time i i highly recommend i gave both seasons one and two uh a nine out of ten like very very highly recommended now i will say this because i know jesus is going to bring it up I understand that the character designs are kind of weird. All right, like there's like very sharp noses, very long chins, very Pinocchio esque. I don't really have much of a problem with it. I think it's actually quite nice to be able to see something a little bit different because whenever you're looking at anime and manga, when all characters have the same exact character design, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a little bit different and staying away from the crowd. So I kind of actually appreciate the difference because it, it, it allows for more contorted and, and, and extreme facial expressions. And that's what happens when you're dealing with gambling situations that are talking about hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. And the, when you reach the depths of depravity and when you reach the highest of highs of ecstasy, you want to be able to see that full range of of human emotion and i think that kaiji does it really well and the, the whole weird character design lends to it perfectly um so i i can't uh, reckon anymore it's it's, it's it, any higher it's, it's it's a nine out of ten 
really, really good time. Uh, go ahead, check it out. Crunchyroll that shit. And it's also uh, produced by Studio Madhouse during their heyday for uh, season one in fall 2007 and season two in spring 2011. So it's like Madhouse, like per, in a at that point, a pretty good studio. I mean, Madhouse was always a great studio, but before the fall, basically. You will see that like the difference between seasons one and season two is pretty stark. Like the animation quality jumps. I mean, when I was watching it on Crunchyroll, it was only limited to 4080p. A 480p on like season one, but then season two it upscales all the way through to full HD. So it's it's night and day, but the character designs are consistent throughout. I absolutely loved it. Um, I I I'm trying to convince Jason to watch it, but for some reason he doesn't like Pinocchio faces. So you guys listening, go ahead and check it out, and then let Jason know that it's it's worth watching. Absolutely, let me know. Uh so. I have been watching and reading a bunch of stuff, but I'll only mention one thing that I've been watching and one thing that I've been reading. When I was looking through sort of the catalog of anime that are available to me, I was thinking of watching a show that was more, you know, relaxing, slice of life, and maybe a bit more freedom than uh, the current situation because it's pretty restrictive at the moment in terms of staying at home, which is mostly by choice, but still, right? Then I remembered, Will, when you were growing up, do you remember kind of having a secret hideout with your friends, playing all these really stupid games with yourself, or trying to solve cases, or trying to, you know, be like a savior or a hero of a town, and everyone else, like, around you is like, oh, look at them being cute little kids, doing cute little kids things, and, you know, being all innocent and nice. And No, I just went to my friend's house and played Resident Evil. Okay. Well, there is an anime that premiered in winter. That does exactly the opposite of what I did as a kid, right? Exactly. That's Win- why I have no affiliation, no no affinity whatsoever to what you're about to say. But yeah, go for it. So this anime premiered in winter 2018 and is produced by Silverlink. It is based off of the manga series of the same name written and illustrated by Katsuo. But there is no English translation to my knowledge. So you just got the anime. It is Mitsuboshi Colors, which is one season about three girls. Uh, one is very red color oriented, one is very yellow color oriented, and one is very blue color oriented. And it just talks about them at those, um, you know, those district shopping malls in Ueno, which is a district in Tokyo. And just about them going about their business day to day at a secret hideout. You ever been to Ueno? Yes. It's a packed-ass train station. There's oh. not much of a shopping district there, but like you can find them. But it's, it is a very, very dense part of Japan. I think the shopping district itself is right under the train station. So it's incredibly busy with commuters and people going off to work and all that. And it's just about these three girls. I think at one point they literally spend... Uh, okay, here, okay, I'm going to spoil a little bit of a plot because they do like skits. So a girl... A high school girl has a uh, allergy to pollen, and they're like, "Yo, we like you. You seem to be suffering because of pollen allergies. Let's kill all the trees." And they proceed to attempt to do that. Obviously, they were unsuccessful, but it's cute as fuck and a slice of life. And that basically is the anime for twelve, thirteen episodes. It's pretty good. It's really good, actually. Um, if you like that sort of them running around 
causing mischief, but also trying to save it's, the world. It's just basically a young kid's detective club kind of thing, right? Absolutely. It's like Ghost Rider. Do you remember that show? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that, except there is no Ghost Rider. It's just kids doing kids stuff. Okay. Um. I mean, have you finished it? Yeah, I did. What, I mean, what, what would you give it out of a, t- like a 10? Uh, 8 out of 10. I would give it an 8 out of 10 for sure. Uh, It's a fun ride. It was really nice, but it wasn't necessarily anything groundbreaking. So... It's very enjoyable, though. You should watch it. Now. Nah. <laughs> yeah, okay. It doesn't, doesn't really sound like I'm going to enjoy this. It's fine. I have, I have other slice of life that follow around two or three girls doing their own cute girl things. I but, mean, Slow Loop wants to talk to you. But what happens, Will, when... um? What happens what? When instead What happens of, when? When two to three... What happens when Jason starts off with what happens when? Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Instead of two to three girls, what happens if you get a hundred... And they really, 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 really love you. And they're also all your girlfriends. I've been talking about this series for a long time. The first volume of the manga came out recently by Seven Seas Entertainment. And it is also known as 100 Girlfriends. And the full title is The 100 Girlfriends Who Really, 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 Really Love You. It is about a guy who, uh, Rentaro, who got rejected almost all his life. And because of that, he went to a temple to pray. And all of a sudden, a deity shows up and is like, yo, you're going to meet your soulmate. But I kind of fucked up because usually everyone just gets one soulmate. But I kind of added two zeros. So instead, you're going to get 100 soulmates. And if you don't you know, get together with your soulmate, they're going to suffer a horrible death because you know, that's fate and destiny and all that. And he's like, well, shit. How about I date all of them at the same time? And he proceeds to do so and introduces one to literally the harem. I mean, this is just a harem paradise kind of thing, right? Yeah, but it is done in the most slapstick referential meta way. They all, they constantly break the fourth wall. They're like, oh, yo, why hasn't this person shown up? Um, they showed up in volume uh, in chapter one, but like, what the hell, man? Or like, they would be like, this panel cannot fit all this text. This is not good. We should blame the mangaka. Like, they actually call out themselves. So it's very like Deadpool kind of like fourth wall breaking, and it's also quite sweet because, uh, yeah. And the first volume only introduces I think two or three of the one hundred girlfriends, and I'm presumably there would be introduced the other ninety seven eventually. So interesting thing is that it's serialized in Young Jump and not regular Jump, right? So is there anything in the material that suggests that it's for like an older audience? Outside of, of course, the fact that it is a harem pool of a manga. Absolutely not. There is very little nudity or violence at all. Right. So I'm wondering why it's on Young Jump. I mean, it, may, it might just be the source. It might just be the material itself. I mean, the fact that it is a guy who's literally trying to create a cluster of girls to fit into a light, nice little harem portfolio. And the thing is that Rentoro is like the most straight edge, pure person possible because he has been rejected so many times. So he feels the pain and the passion and he's just a nice guy. So it's really funny how all these girls fall for him and he tries to be equally loving to all of them. So yeah, okay, there's it starts off with two or three, but when you get, I don't know how it's going to work when you get to like 20, for example. Forget about 100. Like, how are you going to balance all 20 quote-unquote girlfriends? My question is here that I think we've, we've talked about this before, but like the way that it's going and what we've seen with like anime adaptations, 
this seems like a prime candidate for an adaptation, right? I absolutely but, think so. But what what studio do you think would? I, I, we've talked Passione being like a front runner for this one, just because the fact that they do really, really fucking etchy harem esque adaptations all the time. But do you, do you have any others that you think might have a might have a shot in getting an adaptation for this? I honestly don't know, but I would be of the mindset that there's absolutely no way that this won't get adapted. I mean, it also sounds like a Dukakobo kind of thing too, right? Dukakobo can do anything right now, basically, and I would still be okay. OLM? I will not, but you never know. Wow, you don't think OLM? They did Komi. Yeah, but like look at all the other stuff that he did is like some are good some are great and then there are some that are not so great so they're up and down you know depends i mean i, I feel that's the same with a lot of other studios right? i mean you like, can say so, about so, production so, ig so, right silver link is the same too right absolutely I, so i would say it's like it, it's it's not always down to the studio it's, i mean unless it's jc staff and like jc staff will always find ways to fuck things up but like for the most part i think it just comes down to the source material and if the material's good enough and you seem to be like really on this hundred girlfriends wave like i I feel like they have enough material in there to be able to consistently produce good shit. I, I'm not too worried about what studio they would get to do it. But again, like we're so far away from an adaptation even being announced, like we might just wait until like episode sixty of the podcast and let you all know. Hey, there's an adaptation coming. But out. it needs to happen soon, Will, because uh, a long, long time ago we got Domestic Girlfriend, right? Yeah. And then the la- the next year after that we, we got, got Rent a Girlfriend. We got Rent a Girlfriend, and then. Last year, we got Girlfriend, Girlfriend. So if they don't premiere this year, they're going to lose the streak. Anime is going to lose that streak. I, I would give them the uh, the COVID grace period in which we would say that if it's not released by 2023, then they've broken the streak. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 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 so there's like a little asterisk. But- exactly. We're, we're giving it a grace period. All right. That is what we have been watching or reading. And... We also have a surprising amount of news to talk about. It's, it's, I mean, like, man, a lot has happened. A fuck ton has happened. Um, but I think the first thing we need to talk about is um, something that actually happened a long time ago. When Episode we three. About, yeah, when we talked about the, uh, the, essentially the merger between Funimation and Crunchyroll. Um, so we were always talking about well, what's going to happen to the catalog, what's going to happen to the, the apps themselves, the UI. Uh, are things going to change? Are they going to be changing like, subscription plans for people? Well, the first step has come in. Funimation's anime content is now going to be merging and going to the Crunchyroll platform, which Jason and I both, both agree is a really good move because I use Crunchyroll way more than Funimation. And I think same with Jason too. Yeah, I also think that, oh, first of all, it wasn't episode three that we talked about. Crunchyroll is episode four. Okay. Um, but so episode three was proliferation, right? No, it was adaptation. Proliferation right. and stigmatization is five. But uh, wow, it's been a long time. Yeah, it has been a long time, huh? So many more is to come, hopefully. But Funimation in general, when it uh, it their reputation is not great. Their app in general is considered by many to be inferior to Crunchyroll. Way more restricted in terms of regions as well. Exactly. And also their uh, subtitles and dubs have received certain backlashes based off of people translating them as well as uh, voice actors and actresses dubbing the anime. But now, now, to be fair, when it comes to translation for subs, most platforms aren't perfect. I mean, like, there's been enough complaints about Netflix and their quality of translations, but I think, like, Funimation has been much more of a consistent culprit 
in this. And a longer, like they have existed for yeah. far longer. So it makes a lot of sense to integrate Funimation with Crunchyroll rather than the other way around. I was more talking about like the translation in general because they remember they had the Squid Game controversy with uh, with Netflix. Um, so it has been going on for a while. But Funimation, if we're talking like anime specifically, yes. then yeah, Funimation has a pretty bad track record when it comes to dubbing and subbing controversies. So there is a long, long list of subs and dubs of anime that are now available yeah, on we should, we should do a little clarification on this, right? So if you do actually access the link or you see what's moved over from Funimation over to the Crunchyroll platform, it doesn't mean that, like, oh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, like, we have Bungo Straight Dogs in here now. Oh, we have Data Live 3. We have Fruits Baskets. Like, no. They always existed on the Crunchyroll platform. They just existed as the sub version. So you would have Japanese voices, English subtitles. Now they're now including the dubbed versions that existed on the Funimation platform and are now moving into Crunchyroll. Right? So some things are like Dr. Stone, Fire Force, Fruits Basket, High School DXD, um, Kageyasama. Those things are now also available in dub when you're accessing it through Crunchyroll. But then there's also a healthy amount of both new shows that are sub and dub. So, for example, a show that I quite like is Adachi and Shimamura that's on there. Akudama Drive that Will and I have been talking about since the dawn of existence. Y'all, you really have to check it out. That's available for sub and dub. So, Oh, my God. Tokyo Gold Dub is on here, too. Yeah, I know, right? Fuck Uh, that shit. Oh, God. And there's a bunch of shows, just a lot. One actually that really got my attention is Full Dive. This ultimate next-gen Full Dive RPG is even shittier than real life. Um, I, I may check that out just based on the title alone. So all of a sudden, guys, your Crunchyroll catalog, at least in terms of subs and dubs, have now increased significantly. Will and I think that at least based on what we know, the Funimation shows, all of them have not transitioned to Crunchyroll yet. And we believe that these moves will come in waves. Yeah, this, this is not the most extensive and exhaustive list. This is just the first active update. So come back in, check out when there is like new stuff that goes on there. But, you know, fear not. Even if it's like new stuff that's coming up from Funimation, the Crunchyroll catalog, at least in the US, is already super stacked. So adding the stuff onto it now just means you have more options to watch stuff that you previously watched. And you maybe want to watch it in English dubs instead of subs. Uh, or there's also stuff that's on, that wasn't on there before. Like I didn't know that Cowboy Bebop wasn't on Crunchyroll. They're moving the whole sub and dub from Funimation onto Crunchyroll. So look, it's, it's time to get back on the anime train. If you can't go outside, hey... Watch watch Akadama Drive. It's on Crunchyroll now. So Adachi and Shimamura, watch that shit too. It's gonna be a good time. Yes. Um, and don't watch by the grace of gods though. That is absolutely garbage. Yeah, I heard it wasn't that great. It keeps being recommended to me on Netflix too, and I'm like, no, I do not want to watch any more of this shit. Like, please turn off these. I I, I want to actually be able to like turn on like not interested or ignore. Like, cause you can do it on YouTube. I don't know if you can do it on Netflix. But one anime series that you cannot ignore this season is Dress Up Darling. That is an anime you that... You can't ignore it if it's not your cup of tea, but thankfully it is mine. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I actually ended up checking out Dress Up Darling. I really like Dress Up Darling as well, and I think a lot of people agree. Last episode, or maybe two episodes before, we talked about how since the anime debuted, a bunch of uh, manga got bought in Japan. I think another one million copies were in circulation. Well, guess what? Since then, another 1.5 million copies 
are in circulation now since the anime premiered. So it jumped up even more. And I thought like, oh, it won't go on forever, Will. Like this growth just cannot sustain itself. I have um, I have to eat my words just a little bit because as of right now, it has jumped more. Not sustained. Increased. I mean, with each episode that comes up, right, you get to see more and more of these... I mean, it's... Dude, it's wholesome. It's gorgeous. I wasn't even talking about the wholesome part. It's just it's just boobs and legs, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, fan service, man. Yeah. Fan service done right. Yeah. Gloss over it with the wholesome part, too. There's absolutely nothing wholesome about it. It's just boobs. It's just TNA. But, hey, like that's also like half the reason why people watch it. No, no shame whatsoever. But did you know, Will, that actually Dress Up Darling is not necessarily all about cosplaying and TNA? Yeah. So There's actually he if, if you remember Gojo, the main character, when he first started off, he was essentially a Hina doll like aficionado. Basically his whole room is just Hina dolls with all the paints, all the little clothes, even just like rows of like Hina heads so you can It's make, his family business. That's why it's like if you take away the dress up part, that actually is how he got started in like his own art form. Um, but it, it hasn't really been much of a focus throughout, though occasionally when you start deep diving deeper into Gojo's background, into his life, they start taking more of a forefront and you can see why he has so much passion for the medium. And that's actually then bled into real life as well. So there has been a spike in terms of popularity for Hina dolls after the debut of My Dress of Darling once it got animated, uh, the anime adapted. Uh, it I, I actually haven't... Re- I've never bought a Hina doll, but you see it everywhere whenever you go around Japan. I don't think you can because I think they're exclusively for girls. No, I mean, when you buy them. Oh, when you buy them. Yeah, okay. But what what, what, is, what does that have to do with anything with girls? You can I, I thought, you I thought it's like a ceremonial... Okay, I'm gonna... I'm, I, sorry, this is... I don't know. I don't know. That's why you can get them. Absolutely no problem. But a lot of people want them because since the anime debuted, Hina dolls have been massively popular to the point where Dress Up Darling now gets their own official Hina doll. That's the third news. So not only are more manga in circulation, now Hina dolls have a spike in popularity, and then they decided to have an official My Dress Up Darling Hina doll. There you go, guys. Yeah, it's all about the merch. In the end, right, we we knew that with the way that anime gets adapted, it's usually like a long glorified advertisement for the source material, for whatever merchandise it can sell. So in order to be able to you know, reap in the rewards, they have to be able to have some sunk costs. That's just the benefit of the of, 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 of the crowd as well, though. It's like, yes, like we get to watch more anime. And because we like the anime, therefore, we're definitely going to invest more time and money into it. I I absolutely see no problem with this whatsoever. It's really cool that they're able to turn something that was originally just like fiction into reality. And I would like to see, like, you know, if anybody wants to go and pick up some Hina dolls, hey, you got some real life dress up darling Hina dolls to go. Sh- get. It, it, it's official too. Not knockoff shit, official shit. So if you really like dress up darling, if you like Hina dolls after checking it out, you can buy that shit now. Okay. Our. Next news story concerns a video game that I played to completion. Will, have you ever played this video game? I got bored of it, honestly. Nier. I, got, I actually got really bored of it. But I, I, you have to admit that Near Automata, which is the game in question, is incredibly gorgeous. The soundtrack, the sound design's really, really good. I just, I, I just couldn't be bothered to finish it. I really like Near Automata. Uh, the 
the game is really surprising in terms of what I thought it was and then what it ends up becoming. Uh, people freak out when you say you have to beat the game several times. That is actually true. There's 24 endings. You don't need to play all 24 times. There, I think there's mainly five or six main endings. And each time you play it, the the game actually changes. You don't play the story from beginning to end. That's exactly the same, even though there are stuff that are the same. But it's a really good RPG, action RPG. And they're getting their own anime. So there you go. Yeah, that, that was the news itself. We're not talking about the game. We're talking about the fact that it got an anime adaptation. Um, no, no, no news yet on who's adapting it, when it's going to get released. But look, if you like the near game series, go ahead. It's it's time for you to now watch it in anime form. Yeah, they announced it during their fifth anniversary live stream. So Aniplex said that, uh, hey, we're going to do an anime adaptation. No other further announcements. Yeah. So that's not the only uh, animation adaptation news that we have. We have another one, which is. Um, essentially a, a throwback series uh, for anybody who was down for the classic Spice and Wolf fantasy novels. Uh, they had seasons one and seasons two, both of which are on Netflix. Um, they're now coming up with new anime. So, hey, Spice and Wolf fans rejoice. It's been a long time since I've been waiting. I think the second season came out in 2007? 2009. 2008 yeah. 2009. So uh, I quite like Spice and Wolf a lot. Uh, the the anime is very dry in a way because it's about economics and trading. It's just merchants traveling around and then a wolf girl. Yes, but it is done very well. The dialogue and character development is great. I never thought that there would be more beyond the two seasons. And uh, I think... But did you want more to come? Yes, right. because the story wasn't completed. And I think uh, Will doesn't agree with this, but I think that there is a very healthy amount of people that wanted a continuation of Spice and Wolf. And uh, I mean, I, I didn't say that there wasn't. I said there would be more people who wanted Devils a part timer. And I said, and there are stats that back it up too, because if you look at how many fans there are on my anime list for Spice and Wolf, there's seven hundred thousand, and there's double the amount for Devils a part timer. So I'm not again. I have to be clear. I'm not saying that Spice and Wolf does not deserve it, nor did I want it. I'm saying that there was always going to be a healthier amount of people who wanted other things, and then the Spice of Wolf thing came out of nowhere. Whereas it, every year it was like, why is Devil Part Time not coming out? Why is this not coming out? And I don't know. Maybe it's just the circles that I'm in, but Spice and Wolf was never really something that came up in discussion. Uh, yes. So I am actually very surprised by this announcement, but I'm also very happy about this announcement. Just like how oh Konosuba is getting new anime project. Regardless, right? It's just good to have more stuff to consume. To but, be fair, though, Konosuba didn't come out that long ago. No, you're right. I'm yeah. just saying, like, a bunch of stuff get announced after a period of time of just silence, right? Like, Chiafuru also had a period of silence. Yeah, that one was, like, six years. It's the same thing with Attack on Titan as well. Like, 2013 through to 2019, nothing. And then Part 2 comes out. Woof. So... What Will and I actually tr are trying to say is, no game, no life, you are on Fucking watch. it up. You, you guys are, are screwing shit up right now. Why the fuck is there no no game, no life too? Why are we still waiting since Zero came out only like six years ago, seven years ago? 2015, right? That's when it came out. So like, come on, guys. Get your shit together. It's been 10 years since No Game, No Life, the first part. Even Shaman King came back, bro. Look. You, you want to be late to the party, you want to be the VIP, that's fine. But, like, you know, RSVP that shit. Be on the ball so then you can show up to the ball and, you know, be the most beautiful girl ever. God. 
just weak op. What was, what was that other old school? Uh, Utena? Ut- U U T E N A. Oh yeah, the one with the girl in the leopard the, the, print, ye- leopard, leopard yellow print dress. Uh, yeah, I forgot. We, you know which one I'm talking no, about. No, Utena is a revolutionary girl, which is different. Yeah. So okay, that we'll, we'll we'll figure out the name later on. When that shit came out in the '80s, and it's getting a revamp now. Like, come on, man. Like, if that can get a revamp, no game, no life. You guys can get your shit together and make part two. All right. Our last news story, though, is this is not even fucking like. It's not adaptations. It's not like industry news. This is just some crazy fandom like WTF shit. So, do you actually experience this? World? Actually, okay. When was the last time you went to an Anticon? That's a very good question. I don't think the last I time ever... I went to an Anticon was ten years ago in Vancouver. I don't... long, long time ago. I don't think I ever went to an anime convention. Like in there, I was always like on the outskirts because I didn't want to buy a ticket or a pass or whatever. So I was one of those assholes. But the thing is, that with any cons, there's always those things that are like the, the the standards that come with it, right? You'll have like that J Rock band that comes in, or like that VA that comes in that does like a musical performance. You have like those people who they do like, essentially like cosplay competitions, merchandise, merchandise. Uh, there's always the 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 etchy adults only section, which is always like got the good quality uh cultural uh, cultured stuff there but there's one subset within the anycon fandom culture that we haven't really seen for a while and i did see it a lot when i was at my first and actually my only anycon um yowie paddles so this is actually something that has historical significance within the anime community in North America. It's very hard to explain the history in a short period of time. However, um, we'll do the best we can. We'll do the best we can. There is a vendor called Hendane, uh, and they, as a joke, uh, had a, a paddle, like, you know, like the, the ones that like fraternities have, and they had Yaoi written on it. And um, Yaoi is basically boy love stuff. And it it was just on there. And then apparently a bunch of people were like, oh, I want that paddle. And they were like, no, no, no. This is just like a joke that like our staff had and we just brought it. And then long story short, they were like, wait, we can actually earn money off of this. So let's sell these paddles. And then they sold like fucking hotcakes. It was insane. Everyone basically had a paddle. So you were thinking like, oh, that's great, right? People are earning money. Well, when you um, buy a paddle you theoretically would be inclined to want to use it. And what ends up happening over, I guess, several years was these people who bought these paddles start hitting people out of nowhere, not even asking consensual or whatever, just like, oh, there's a cosplayer? Let's just whack her ass or whack his ass because everyone just got, like, hit. Now, we're not saying that this is, like, a very natural occurrence of, like, standard abuse, but it's, like... Paddle, this thing is made out of solid wood. And when you put it in the hands of anybody, there's always going to be that one person that has to ruin it for the party. And unfortunately, because of that one person or that several groups of people, now it's been deemed that if you bring a paddle in, any item that like resembles like something that can be used as a weapon or for harassment, banned. Not allowed to be in conventions anymore. It looks like a uh, like a smaller imagine, cricket paddle. Ima- yeah, exactly. Imagine like a cricket paddle, but it's in the shape of like a baseball bat. It's like flat. It's flat like a cricket bat, 
with and Yahweh written on it. it. Yeah, it, 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 yo, if you've ever been hit by like a solid chunk of wood, like a two by two, or like any, I mean, I've been hit by a baseball bat before, it fucking hurts. Like even if it's a small tap, like it, you just don't want that shit, especially if you're out on your day enjoying your cosplay day out, or you're going out to go get your manga sign because the manga's there. And all of a sudden, someone just slaps your ass the pedal. Like I would be pretty pissed by that too. Like you can understand, like it's a fun little subset, but there is always someone that has to take it too far. Yeah, and that's when shit gets a little too real. I think in the beginning there were a bunch of people doing it like as a joke, but then it was like consensual in the sense that like, oh, we bought the paddle. Uh, why don't you like smack the creator? So it was like everyone kind of knew what was happening. Was all informed, but then as Will mentioned, you get the party poopers. The one rogue agent that's like, yeah, I'm just going to, like, smack every single cosplayer I see. And that's eventually what happened. And all these uh, conventional goers started complaining. And all these convention organizers eventually had to put down the band hammer, basically, and say, no more yaoi paddles. Well, actually, you know, riffing off of that, you know, when it comes to party pooping, um, so... After the original post came out, I think Jason did update that um, since the release of the Kickstarter for these oh, Yowie paddles. Wait, so, so we actually didn't mention all that. We just now yeah. mentioned the history. So, yeah. so there's, now there's a little bit of controversy when it comes to it as well. So the reason why we're mentioning this brief history lesson is because on Kickstarter, a Yowie paddle Kickstarter has been announced to revitalize this anime fandom. Yeah. So it, it, it blew up. Everyone's like, yes, let's fucking do this. It's going to be great. However, the Dojin vendor Hendane, which Jason mentioned previously, is now basically putting out a intellectual property dispute filing, um, which is basically involving a copyright dispute for the Yaoi Paddle Fan Kickstarter. Basically, they're accusing that the Kickstarter people who started it stole the design of these Yaoi Paddles, that they were never like, given permission to do so, and that Hendane were never even asked for permission. So since then, the Kickstarter campaign is now unavailable, and who knows what's going to happen with it now. Because another thing that you might want to consider is the fact that this paddle, or like the... the con- controversy or the infamous paddle has caused a lot of problems for this company who created it and they had to do a bunch of stuff to even recoup their reputation so when all of a sudden you see kind of basically the exact same thing that you saw 10 years ago that caused a lot of problems at these conventions you would be like oh it's done by the same company but actually no and then there's legal disputes and basically now the Kickstarter is frozen. So it's a bunch of similar to AnyTube in terms of like, oh, did you actually get permission? Or like very lofty uh, expectations were placed that were assumptions. And a lot of naive people were like, yeah, that's cool. But then when you think about it, it's like, actually not really. Yeah. Well, there's still like some developments there too, right? So the the person who actually started up uh, the Kickstarter, Henry AL, is now saying that like we're going to contest uh, this filing um, because technically it's not the same design. So it's not that you know Hendane holds the whole copyright for it. Hendane then says, like, well, it's you know legally art design because it's an embodiment of. You know, what these paddles mean that's why like we're 
filing these copyrights uh, claims. So it's it's still an ongoing process. Who knows what's going to happen about it? But it was just funny that this all of a sudden just came out. It's like I have not I have not seen or heard of Yowie Paddles in the longest time, and all of a sudden now this is like a thing again. Exactly. I would like to say though my personal opinion of this is Henry A. L. mentioned, and I quote. This is meant to be used only for keepsake, no more dangerous than a wooden spoon in the kitchen, and arguing that no one is actually going to be able to bring a paddle to a convention. Now, that's nice for you to say, but at the same time, bullshit. You you can't. Well, I mean, no, I I, I do agree that what he's saying is true because he needs to speak legalese, right? He needs to put this out so that if there was ever an incident of someone misusing the pedal, then he's already got himself off scot-free. The issue is that you're talking about human beings here. Yes. It's like what can happen and what probably will happen. What should happen or what can happen is no one does anything bad. It's just kept as a keepsake, as this guy says, and it's just chill it's just like a good memorabilia of at that time that was a trendy messed up thing remember that guys but really people are gonna yeah but again it's also like he's doing it to make sure that like look there are gonna be stupid people who do this i'm just saying this straight up i mean imagine it's like imagine like you you're 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 um you're joseph joseph and you make like kitchen equipment you sell knives are you going to tell people, no, these knives are not for hurting people. They're just for kitchen use. Like, are you going to go do that? Like, it, it, like you can understand why Henry has to go out and say this shit. Oh, I, I, I understand why you have to say it. Yeah. But so, like, I wouldn't say bullshit on his end. I'm saying that it's bullshit, like, that in people reality, are, are going to listen to you. Yeah, re- that's what I meant. I, yeah. I, I don't want to, like, mis- misconstrue uh, Henry A.L. I'm just saying practically, like, in real life, in Human reality. Human beings are stupid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, don't do that. Like, just don't tempt fate. That's it. So I know what to get you for your birthday then, Jason. Fuck. Get a Yuri paddle. <laughs> Yuri paddle? Do they even exist? Oh, they do. They No, they definitely did. Okay. I, I did some research and they definitely exist. Okay, all right. Research. Okay, got it. <laughs> so that brings up the end of our news, I think, right? Like, Yeah, yeah we went overboard. Holy shit. There was a lot. Well, I mean, look, like adaptations coming up here and there, like, they're always going to be great. But like, it's it's stuff that like we we know, like, hey, Spice and Wolf coming back. That's going to be great. People who like the near automata games, yo, now you get to watch a shit in anime form. There's going to be a lot more stuff that comes up soon as well. I mean, who knows? In the next in the next two weeks, there may be more news. Co- I mean, shit. Like they're not talking about like the new titles for like the the slime Isakai film. There's going to be more stuff coming out. Like for example, Uzaki Chan. Like the new subtitle casts are coming out. There's going to be more and more information that comes out every week. But we also want to make sure that we consolidate everything so that we hope that it's information that makes sense to you. We're not going to be covering every adaptation, every manga, every every light novel that is about to like hit the fucking screen. I mean, do you really want to hear, oh, this anime, which is already scheduled to premiere in spring, has announced that their premiere date is April 7th or whatever. There is like no need for that. There's no need for that. There is a shit ton of those. We know they exist. You probably know they exist if you were to, you know, go on these anime news sites. So we just decided to go for some funny stuff, some important stuff, and some stuff that just we personally find interesting that we think you guys should know about. So that's really it. I mean, shit, like Netflix just announced a brand new anime adaptation of Kazushi Hagiwara's Bastard. bastard manga it's like but what the fuck is bastard right it like, looks it looks like a heavy metal it's, kind of yeah i mean know. it came out in 1993 done by aic studio which we talked about before during our sports anime episode but like 
we don't know shit about it. There's absolutely no indication of whether this is going to be good or not. So we're not going to bring the to you. We're going to check it out later, and then we'll be talking about it in the future. But we try and curate our news so that it is as relevant and as current uh, to your expectations and to your wish list. So and also stupid. Yeah. Like, if we like it, we like it. If we don't like it, we're not going to talk about it. All right. I think that is the end of the first half of this episode. When we come back, though, several things are going to happen. We are going to talk about our main discussion topic. Oh wait, do you want to do like the the present reveal now, or do we do it after? No, the break? do it after. Okay, do it after the break. Right. So, um, stay tuned, and uh, it's gonna be a good one, guys. The second half. See you guys. This is yeah. This will be a fucking fun time. Catch y'all later. Peace. Welcome back to episode 29, part two of today's GAP podcast. I need to make sure that we're doing part two, season two, sections and all that, because with the way anime is going on, everything's a bit of a clusterfuck. But it's not a clusterfuck with the GAP hosts. It's still Will, still Jason. How are you doing, buddy? Yo, let's get this show on the road. Right. So after like that slew of news and the catch-ups that we've been doing in terms of what we've been watching, what we've been reading, we're now going to go into today's main discussion topic. Now, this is actually... We haven't even done many continuations or series within the GAP. I know that we do our... like seasonal discussions we do our anime awards but this is the first time that we're actually going to be doing a series within the gap which is the gotta watch them all so if you remember from the last episode that we did for the gotta watch them all i think it was episode 19 or episode 20 20 yeah so we essentially embarked on a long journey uh, one of which for Jason is to watch the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure series. And for me, it's to watch the Monogatari series. So for our first parts, I watched the Bucket Monogatari section. Jason watched the first section of season one, which is Phantom Blood. And we you know, laid out our, our thoughts and opinions on it. And so far, we both agreed that you know, going into each other's territory, me doing Monogatari and Jason being the sage of the Monogatari series and vice versa with the Judges of Bizarre Adventure world, we like what we've seen so far. So we want to continue it. And now with part two, Jason will now be going over part two of season one. Battle Tendency, and I'll be going over Kizu Monogatari and Nisei Monogatari. Uh, we, we have a lot of opinions on everything we've watched. And, I mean, the main thing is that it's it's been a very, very fun time so far. I do not regret going on this Monogatari series journey. And neither have I regretted going on this JoJo's most bizarre adventure. So a bit the of... The mostest bizarrest adventures, yeah. So as Will very eloquently stated, he watched... Kizu Monogatari, which consists of three movies, and Nisei Monogatari. I would also want to emphasize that um, there are various watch orders of the Monogatari series, and the one that we're sticking to, which I will put in the show notes, is the light novel release order, which in my opinion as well is the order that a lot of people, especially first-timers, should go by. Yeah, it's a little bit confusing, but the reason why we do this is because of the fact that Kizu Monogatari, which is the, the movie series, is technically in the second order of the light novel order. But because the movies actually came out like many, many years, I think it was in development hell for like eight, nine years before it actually came out. It started coming out between 2016 through to 2017. So it did take a while for those things to come out. And therefore, if you wanted to watch it in the full light novel order, you 
did have to rewatch it all over again. But I think for most Monogatari fans or appreciators, there's no issue with that whatsoever because it's 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 a fucking great time. Uh, do you want to go straight into it? I see that we have a, a, a special section that comes in before that. Right. But before we do that is um, I would watch, as Will said, uh, part two of JoJo, which is known as Battle Tendency, which is also uh, the the last 17 episodes of season one of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yep. So nine episodes for Phantom Blood, 17 for Battle Tendency, a total of 26 episodes, two curves for the season one of JoJo. Confusing now, as not, not it's not us confusing though. Now I am a man of planning ahead and calculations. Does not mean I can perform very well, but when it comes to planning, I would like to think that I do a lot of it. Uh, it's S tier for sure, man. <laughs> and because of that, I somehow managed to convince Will to plan it such that this episode would be recorded on this day, which was the day before his birthday. I mean. Was it planning? Was it coincidence? I mean, I, it just so happened that, like, with our release schedule, that it did fall on my birthday weekends. I guess it, it wasn't too hard to jigger things up and then put it into an order where we would do a JoJo Omonogatari episode on my birthday weekend, which actually I could not have asked for anything more. Yep. So, therefore, I decided to purchase a gift for Will. And originally, this gift was i thought was going to take a long time for it to deliver so therefore i bought it in like december or january it arrived both of them actually arrived wicked soon wicked early so will is now going to see it for the very first time yeah i have at no idea what the presents are as jason they pack, unpacks everything um excuse the noise this i mean this is a a very janky setup, um, but we're doing the best we can with, uh, with regards to how COVID has essentially locked off our regular uh, recording studio. So, Will, before uh, I give a, a bit of a preamble, you like JoJo quite a bit, right? Oh, I fucking love JoJo. So, okay, I don't like where this is going. Oh, do I like? I do like it, actually. Hmm. Would you say JoJo is up there in terms of one of... Oh, top 10 series, for sure. For you, right, personally? Yeah. Would you say then, therefore, uh, the art is pretty dope? Yes, I I love Araki's artwork. Okay, I know, yeah, and, I, know, I know exactly where this is and going. And then, have you considered that maybe this person has you know have a lot of influences in like the Louvre, you know, Versace, and all these Gucci, like, Gucci, you know, all these well-known Vogue, brands, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I decided to go back in time and then go back to recent time. So first of all, your first, which one? Yeah, which which order are you doing? Are you doing the the Amazon Prime one, or are you gonna do the one that came from Japan? Yeah, we're gonna do the one that came from Japan. So, oh my god, yo, yeah, this is the magazine. Uh, this is the hardcover book that came out in 1993, I think, or 1995. Holy shit! What is it, Will? The the the, the listeners cannot. Uh, S- it's an see art it. book. It's an art book, but what is it an art book of? Well, first of all, it's got the Diamonds and Breakable main characters. It's also got every single JoJo leading up to part four. So no Jorno. So this is uh, for the listeners because they can't see oh, this. I got Palmer off in here as well. This is the art book for JoJo that was published in the 1990s. Uh, it is called, um, let's see, it's called JoJo 6251. 
And not only uh, do I have it, oh, they even have like a special section a section for Jo, jo- Leon as well. The, the part eight. Oh my god! There you go. And it also contains exclusive artwork as well as an interview. Unfortunately, it's all in Japanese. But in order to even appreciate the art, you don't need to know language. Oh my god! They have character data on every single character as well. Exactly. Oh, shit. Yes. Okay, I can show you. This is all spoilers for you. But but it is all in hardcover. Looks gorgeous. I mean, I flipped through it very briefly. Uh, I didn't understand most of it. They give term- every single stat for all the stands as well. Holy shit. That is a codex of JoJo. A timeline of every single JoJo event as well. Oh, my God. This is... Yo. Okay. So, okay. So, okay. So, that's the first half of your gift. So, then, did you know, Will, that there was a second art book that came out? I would. I wouldn't doubt it, but... Did you also know that it came out rather recently? And here you have the second half of your birthday present, which is JoJo. The Jojonical? Exactly. So it's wrapped. It hasn't been opened. And it is basically the continuation of the JoJo art, as well as commentary and And an interview with Araki as well. Exactly. And exclusive art book stuff. Unfortunately, I can only get the Japanese version because all the English versions are either not printed or they are only coming well, out in digital I want, version. I want the original shit. I want the Japanese shit, man. And guess what? You have both of them oh, in its God. original packaging, all brand new, ready to go. So happy birthday, When bro. you said JoJo, I was I was really afraid. It's like, did you just buy me like JoJo figures? Because those things are really expensive. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. But I would say this, which was... I inquired about getting a signature for the first JoJo book. Uh, it was not possible. Right. It was technically possible, but it's not possible. Okay. So I did not go down that route. But I was like... Yeah, talk- you, you got me a Rocky signature. I would flip shit. Holy fuck. Yeah. yeah, so I talked to this guy, and it was like really tough because the guy's not very good in English, and I obviously am not good in Japanese. But we managed to um, reach an agreement usually through monetary, you know, contract of him sending me the book, uh, JoJo6251. And then I ordered this from Amazon, the second half, which is a JoJo art book, the one that came out in 2018, I think. That is all so gorgeous. Yes. Every single character all the way leading up to part eight. Jesus. That's correct. And part eight just finished as well. Yep. Will is like, he's like... Just, just look no, at it. Because I remember reading and watching all these parts. It's, it's just really cool just to see it in raw form. Yeah, and there's like exclusive stuff in each one too. So they, I think they even have okay, the. I really Louvre. love the art for part five and part six as well. I think they even have like the Louvre exhibition in there in the second half in the in the the, the, the my second gift. So it's all there. It is pretty much as any JoJo fan would want. Yeah, they have all the Gucci stuff here as well. Exactly. So. There you go, buddy. All the way from Paris through to Florence, Sendai, Osaka, and then Nagasaki, Kanazawa. Holy crap. Happy birthday, Will. This is fucking awesome. Yep. There you go. Now, just full disclaimer, I, I don't actually collect a lot of art books. Uh, the only one I have is actually from Tokyo Ghoul. So, uh, but everyone already knows how much I love Tokyo Ghoul. So now that everyone knows how much I love JoJo, this is a very fitting thing to add to my collection. Yes. So... 
Thank you so much, man. Yeah, it's all good, bro. This is awesome. Yep. All right, let's get that this out of the way because now we're gonna go to talk more about JoJo and more about Monogatari. Okay, not, okay. I know when your birthday is. Okay, yeah, it's, it's past. But yes. when the next one comes up, we need to make sure that we find the right. It has to be another. Got to watch them all. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Do you, Do you need to take a break? Figure this out for a bit. We We could just take a no, short no, break. No, no. Let's just go straight into okay, it. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm super happy, but like the show must go on as well. Absolutely, and the show will go on because right now. We should talk about JoJo Part 2, also known as Battle Tendency. Now, Will has stated, and I have stated, that it is episode 10 to 26 of uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Season 1, because there were multiple remakes and so on and so forth. But that's the one that we are going to talk about. Yeah. So just like with Phantom Blood, Battle Tendency had been serialized many, many, many years ago, like way before I was born. I think just around the time you were born, actually. Uh, um, yeah, actually, it started on November 2nd, 1987, just 10 days before my birthday. Right. So there, yeah, therefore, like JoJo existed like around the same time you existed. And so, and I'm Jason. It's, it's actually quite fitting that this is around the time that you started watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure as well, um, specifically part two. So it came out in 1987 through to 1989, but it took many, many years, almost like two decades plus, to get the second part adapted in anime form. Uh, now there were OVAs for like the first part of Phantom Blood, um, but those were like, done a long, long time ago. I think they were also done by Deeper Production, but then. Now, fully in HD, in color, every single episode of JoJo is now adapted. And it's because of the fact that the source material existed for so long that it was easy for the production studio to be as faithful as possible. And faithful they have. So I have watched specifically uh, the 17 episodes, and therefore I am done with season one, which will then, our next journey, the next leg of our journey with me, going through uh, Stardust Crusaders? Yeah, Stardust Crusaders, which is um, part three, but it is one of the chunkiest ones. It is, at least for the anime, 48 episodes, which is pretty much double what you've just watched for part one and part two. So how we're going to do this is similar to the first Gotta Watch Them All. Will and I are going to talk about the non-spoilers of each of our leg of our journey, and then we would have like a very short you know, break that we will splice in that will last several seconds so everyone will know, okay, this is the spoilery stuff, and then we will talk about the spoilery stuff. So we will make sure that there is ample time before each spoiler section such that if you don't want to know about the Monogatari or you don't want to know about the Jojo or you don't want to be spoiled of either of them, there is a very clear, distinct line where you'll be like, okay, past this point, forget it. And then furthermore, I would put timestamps in the show notes so everyone will know when and where to stop. All right. Yeah. So, uh, should we go into JoJo Part 2 first? You Absolutely. Wanna... Okay. So, JoJo Part 2 is essentially the continuation of the JoJo bloodline going in from Jonathan Joestar onto the main character of Part 2, which is Joseph Joestar, his son. Um, this is, I think, maybe like 
two decades after the original series in terms of timeline uh, and is mostly based in the U.S., based in New York, though they do get around the world. Um, very different character styles between Jonathan and Joseph, where Jonathan is very upstanding, proud, defender of you know of his, his, his family, his friends, and does anything he can to be able to fight against evil. Joseph is a bit of a delinquent. A little bit of like a, a whippersnapper and a, a trickster, yeah, you know, kind of like ruffian he's, he's, on he's, the he's street. He's not a shithead, but he's just basically like he's more street smart than book smart. Absolutely. Now, after going through all of Battle Tendency, I have come to the realization of two things. The first thing is calling JoJo's adventure JoJo's bizarre adventure is, in my mind, the most accurate descriptor of this whole series e even if though i haven't consumed any of the future ones but i will it is the most appropriate description just calling it bizarre it's not calling it weird because for many people that sounds like the same thing but i always attribute weird to something a bit more negative a bit more antisocial a bit like out of the ordinary in a bad sense I, I for me it's like it's 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 not so exactly like you said in words like a little bit out of the ordinary but it's not like so strange it's like oh it's raining today oh that's weird i thought it was going to be sunny it's like you wouldn't say it's bizarre bizarre is more of like the more extreme end of weirdness of oh, strangeness for me it's it's hailing in the middle of summer that's yeah. that's fucking bizarre will yeah rather than saying oh that's weird i would say bizarre is more definitive more wow. formal someone who was in the top of our class is actually flunking out of school that's extremely bizarre he's always been a grade a student he's always been a grade a student like that was when i would say bizarre where it's like Oh, that person who usually is first is now second. Oh, that's weird. Like it, there's there is like a scale between the difference of weird and for me, I, I completely agree with Jason that there are certain contexts that you would use either word. So and JoJo is not. It's not JoJo's weird adventure. It's so I, for sure bizarre. I knew how you know crazy JoJo was either through osmosis, through you know just the internet, or through Will. Yeah, memes, or YouTube, like. Jojo fans, especially the, the the worst of Jojo fans, the really toxic ones. And I consumed part one. So I knew a little bit in terms of the context and of how weird it can be. But boy, bro, mm, was I surprised. Now, before I get into that, my thoughts, I need to sort of alert everyone who is going on this journey with me. First of all, thank you for coming along the ride with us. Now... The mindset that you need to be when you watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure of any part, I think, especially going forward, because Will says it gets even crazier, is not to think too much about the intricacies and details of the series. I think that that may not necessarily be the most like outlandish thing to say about you know a fictional medium, but you know in a in a in a world, you know, like where anime and manga exist or live action stuff exists, a lot of people like to pick apart certain plot holes, uh, certain things in, that are inconsistent and use it to be like, well, this show is not as good because it wasn't really thought out because I could easily like thwart like this horror villain if I just did X, Y, and Z, which is perfectly fair to have. But I think if you really want to, to understand Jojo at its core, you need to put logic and reasoning out the window because it serves no benefit to anyone. I think, for example, 
here's a very uh, very simple superficial thing, which is similar to like 007, for example, you know, like GoldenEye and, you know, James Bond stuff. They travel all around the world, but they don't really explain like how they got there, the logistics, the the booking of flights or just the traveling time, how everything happens so fast or not at all or no effort. Like, don't think about it, guys. Like, like normal real life shit does not apply to the world of JoJo. More so than just your usual stuff. So it is doing everyone a disservice by assuming things are realistic. To be fair, though, it's like we're still talking about anime and, and, and fiction and fantasy, right? So, of course, it's like it's easy to say, oh, like, don't don't think too much about it. Don't think like that you, you have to apply. Like, it's, it's one of those shows where like, yeah, just turn off your logical brain and just accept whatever you see on screen. Because the more you try and think about it, the more you're actually straying away from the purpose of JoJo. Now, everything that I said from part one, which is very positive, is transferred over to part two. And I believe that it would transfer over to pretty much everything going forward. Also, though, the amount of hilarity, uh, bombasticness, fabulousness, dazzling, I would also say, and the straight-up homoerotic elements of what people would associate with JoJo has been exhibited more so in part two than in part one. Now, Will has told me off mic that, well, guess what? All that stuff you just said is, first of all, accurate, but then it gets even better in all the later parts. Would you say so? In the first season, or the first part, Phantom Blood, there was only one notable female character, right? And then you go into part two, Battle Tendency, and there are only there's there's still one notable female character, but there are two in total. Oh God, are you saying in part three there would be two notable female characters, but three female characters in total? I think so. Oh my God, I think so. It's a simple formula, right? But the thing is, it's like it's it's not like oh, this is like some purely giga chad fucking like forty like four twenty smooth brain like three hundred and sixty no scope IQ shit. Like no, it's it. The thing is, like you're just meant to enjoy it at face value, and whatever you see on screen, you either choose to like it or you don't like it. And for the most part, the people that I know that have consumed it do like it, and yeah. I like it quite a lot. Um. I, I love it, but that's because I have a personal like affinity to it, right? Especially like with Jason coming in and like, experiencing it firsthand now. Like the enjoyment, of course, has to grow over time. This is not this, this is like a slow journey. This is not like you have to love JoJo immediately. No, this is not the purpose of doing this series, right? Um, as I was telling uh, Will before uh, we resumed recording the podcast, I would say currently, currently, I'm not a fan of JoJo, but I am definitely an appreciator of jojo but i can see myself veering towards the fan category and i'm happily happily ready to accept that fate like it may it may not be it may never be like a top 10 for you but it's like when you see the memes when you hear the jojo talk when you see little snippets on youtube you're like yep i remember watching that part that part was awesome i mean there's already like more than several parts in part two specifically that i was like that's that meme that's that meme that's that meme. And it's just like, oh, I see. Or even better, um, here's a funny thing that is not necessarily a spoiler. So I play a lot of fighting games. Um, a very well-known fighting game that I play is uh, Street Fighter Four, And my main character that I, I, I use... I personally think the best of the Street Fighters, actually. Uh, it, 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 unless you talk about Street Fighter Two Turbo. 
but at least the modern ones, Street Fighter Four is it. So Rose is a very uh, well-known fighting game character within the lore of Street Fighter and is my main character that I play as. And I did not know this, but it actually was based off of a character that shows up very prominently in Part 2 of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, a lot of detail and references were taken from that character. So, I mean, everything's a JoJo's reference. And that's the other thing, too, was like, I was saying to Will, like, oh, this character looks exactly like, you know, that Street Fighter. Like Rose from Street Fighter, yeah. And then you were like, yeah, because it is. And I was like, what? And And then... Boom, a paragraph of exactly who that character is and where they drew inspiration from. But I have to say, though, one thing that I so far don't really like about part two, which has also in, been in part one so far, is the women, the role of women in this uh, part. I think, for example, there are certain characters that um, transition from part one to part two because obviously that they're still there. And there was a grandma, for example. I thought the grandma in part two was very, very badass and just... She doesn't have a lot of screen time, but she was, like, dope. Like, her demeanor, the way that she carries herself was just fantastic. And then throughout that time, there's also another character, which is the Rose character, which I'll just say now is called Lisa Lisa. I don't think that's really a spoiler. Her character is also, like, pretty well done in terms of the design, her demeanor, her tone, the way that she carries herself. As far as, like... JoJo character entrances, it's one of the strongest ones, but... And also, like, it was one of the female characters that I thought was going to make a big impact in terms of the storyline of JoJo Part 2 in terms of the action stuff. And there is a bit of that. But what ends up happening was not what I thought in the negative sense. And I thought that she got done really dirty in terms of the storyline part. I think there's also the third female character that's very minor, but her relevance to the characters, especially the main character, Joseph Joestar, is actually quite significant that I did not see coming. It was never really alluded to in the beginning. It was maybe a bit foreshadowed, but then it's just like all of a sudden it's like, boom, that character, super important now. And I'm just like, okay, fine. All right. But like, there was no development. There was no... There's a little bit of a hint, but it's not really there for me. And then the one with the opposite stuff had a lot of screen time, had a lot of emphasis, ends up kind of falling flat, in my opinion. I would say that in terms of the character choices, I don't think it was like a deliberate choice that Araki, the mangaka for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, chose to like overshadow female characters and put more spotlight on male characters. I think this is in the end, like the source material that he drew from like Roman empire gladiators and wrestlers looking into like Jojo's like like body style. Like for sure it's like influenced by like Rambo and Terminator. Um, And those references are there. There's a lot of characters that like guile from street fighter, right? Like I think the thing is it's like it, it, it's, he was making do with what source material he had, and he didn't necessarily want to underrepresent women. It's just that what material he had gave him like the palette to essentially go about and draw characters a certain way. And it's like, well, this is the male character here. We will just create more male characters. I think that's that's just something that like we're not gonna you know shy away from. There, it, it is a, a male character dominated series, and, and like I feel that with a lot of shonens. That tends to be the case, too. Yeah, I want to emphasize that I'm not saying that it is sexist or any of that. No, 
but I am saying that it is you underutilized. Would've, you would have liked more, right? It would have been. It probably would have added like another like side to JoJo that could be further appreciated. Yeah, because you're right. Like eighty to ninety percent of the cast is male. So when there is a female, I would even say more than that. Like, yeah, 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 probably. Yeah, it's like ninety five percent men. So then when a female shows up. You're like, okay, that's, you know, rare in terms of the cast of characters proportion-wise. So what is this character going to show me? What is this character going to do? And I have to say, at least in that department so far, I have been not very happy or a little bit disappointed by. Does not necessarily mean that, like, oh, therefore, you know, JoJo is sexist. No, it's just like, man, it would have been cool if all of them were awesome. That's it. So that's how I feel about the women character. I think the other thing I have to say that carries over from part one is the exposition and monologues. I think that this show is basically going to continue that trend of having someone there at the scene at that point, dictating everything or explaining stuff. You know, that kind of anime trope of like, Oh, they're playing, for example, you know, Kuroko no basket, for example, they would have a, a basketball game. But then all of a sudden, this guy does this crazy move. And then they're like, oh, how do they do that? And then all of a sudden, like, a character on the sidelines is like, oh, is it because of X, Y, and Z? Or like this, this, and that? And if you don't like that, I have to tell you right now, I don't think you will like JoJo. If you are bothered by that inconsistency in which a person would monologue for like a minute explaining certain things when everything should be happening around them, but time just stops... You are not going to like JoJo, and you're just not going to like anime, a lot of it, a lot of anime in general. Because I think JoJo Part 2 carries on that old schoolness, because the source is very old school. The source was made in 1987 to 1989. So you would expect a lot of, you know, very burly, Rambo, Terminator, like Giga Chad in a way, right? But also a lot of gentleman-like qualities, a lot of old-school exposition and monologue that you will not really get that much of nowadays. And really? I, I, I actually disagree. I think you, with, you I, see a lot of... And it's, if it's done in the form of a monologue, it's done in the form of, of a flashback. Yes, I, like, think, I think flashbacks don't count. But, that, but it's, it follows the same formula of explaining what's happening in the story through another medium. And so, therefore, it's like you're just seeing the same thing, but just in a different form. Oh, no, absolutely, Will. Uh, but the thing is that as, like, a, an asshole critic, someone would say, like, oh, this person is monologuing on the spot. Whereas the flashback but Isn't that what, like, most of Monogatari is as well? Absolutely. I'm not saying, like, that's a bad thing. I mean, or You're making thing. it sound like it's a bad thing, though. Because you're saying that, like, if you don't enjoy this, and, like, they're, like criminal of doing this then like you're not going to like enjoying it watching it but it's like if every other anime does that too then like is there a specific point to bring it up because if every other anime does also have like extended monologues or flashback scenes that basically explain what's happening in the story then that just means that every anime is criminal of doing the same thing you're talking about right now and therefore i said earlier you won't like anime period right that's why i would say you won't like jojo and you won't like anime right because that's exactly what it is because to me, it's more apparent than your typical flashback or typical monologue. Because really, a lot of the battles are very short in terms of real time length, so to speak. So then with like animes like Initial D, right, Will? So Initial D, the, the races are very short in length. But they actually spend a lot of episode time to explain the actions and the motivations of these people. I think that's a very important part of anime and, and manga that 
are not that apparent in live action or other mediums that if you don't like that, then, bro, like, don't. I mean, there's always going to be, like, a shonen or, any, or actually any anime where it's like, wait a minute, they're doing that move? There's no way, unless, and then they go, Masaka, and then they'll just, like, flashback or, like, go into, like, a long monologue of, what exactly is happening on the screen, and I I, I, I get that, and I that's get, the I benefit. Get that, I get that, like JoJo does, kind of maybe take it to the extreme. But like, I think that's one of the the benefits of anime and manga is that they can quote unquote freeze time and show you the context, show you the flashback. But I just feel it that does feel a little more out of place if you're here to do it. You're here to do it in like live action, I suppose. A hundred percent. So the other thing that I will say though, Will, is uh, you said Masaka, right? If I had a shot of whiskey every time someone says nani, or or not even like the word nani, but they go like nani, uh, I think I would die of alcohol poisoning. You would probably, yeah, you would black out and I would have to find you in the hospital. No, you wouldn't. You would bury you, me you, six <laughs> feet under. You would be you like, already die on the scene. Like, okay. Yeah, game over. So I think a lot of bombastic nature. I mean, I went on for a lot for the monologue and exposition, but I. What I will eventually say before we get into spoilers is this show is great. This show is accentuates a lot of the distinguishing characteristics that are present in part one, but put it like one notch or a couple of notches higher. And from what I can tell, if you are going to commit to that, first of all, you're doing very well, Jojo, committing to this. You pick the right things to commit to, but then... I'm ready for the next one. I'm ready to dial this up to to 11. I'm ready to dial this up to 20. I'm ready to go past the time continuum, bro. Of course, like there are going to be like some of the the things that people don't like about the JoJo series. It's still fairly consistent. Like you can definitely see like I mean I I didn't enjoy watching part 1, like uh Battle Tendency or Phantom Blood. Though I did like Battle Tendency more. I in the end I think I gave, I gave both and I might have given Phantom Blood a 7 and then I gave uh Battle Tennessee in eight, but in the end, it's like it was still very much the start of the journey. Like you're only like two curves into the whole world of JoJo, and it's it's been a good start, right? Absolutely, I think that part two is better than part one as well. I would give all of season one an eight out of ten, but really it's a seven point five because, as Will uh, said, part one is not as good as part two. It's nothing to do with the episode length. It's just I don't think it's that good. And it evens out to a 7.5, but I think it's more 8 than 7. The last thing I would say, though, is uh, the time period in which uh, JoJo Part 2 takes place. Let's say there are a certain country that has uh, waged war on the world. And there are certain characters that basically are alluded to be this... I mean, we can just say it, right, Will? Nazis. Nazis. So, look, there's <laughs> going to be German Nazis in a, a time period of JoJo where World War II is happening. So, if you don't like Nazis, first of all, well, no I, one does. Here's the thing, right? Like, I don't think there are, unless you're a sympathizer. Um, in which case, please don't listen to our podcast. I don't really. I, I'd be really, really like shocked if there was a Nazi sympathizer that actually listened to the Good Anime Palette podcast. But, like, okay. There are going to be Nazis and like thematic things that like probably don't sit too well with most people, but like really, really just take it with a grain of salt. It does not go that deep into the mindset and the history of what it means to be a Nazi. It's just for character purposes. And also, they don't take themselves seriously 
at all. At it's still all. as bizarre as it's just you have a bizarre Jojo character who happens to be a Nazi. That's that's basically it. And to be fair, that character I thought was done okay. Uh, and I was surprised. I, I, know, I know when you texted me, you're like, I can't believe I'm actually feeling okay about a Nazi character in JoJo. I'm like, I know who the fuck you're talking about. I feel the same way, but that's not talking about him being a Nazi. It's just talking about him being a JoJo character. And I will go into that when we get into spoilers. Yeah. All right, so. We spent uh, a bit of time going into the JoJo stuff, but JoJo's great. It, it's it's definitely like one of my favorite series. Um, and now it's going on to oh, sorry, my sorry. side. One last thing. The music is fantastic but very bass dubstep like than i thought it would be the soundtrack itself as opposed to like the the opening uh music like there are a lot of segments where they definitely go through like baseline drum beats a little kind of like synth wobbles throughout uh the different character introductions particularly when you have a a particular set of men show up i mean i know it's a lot of men throughout jojo but you will know which ones i'm talking about but the soundtrack is great but i I was just surprised, pleasantly surprised, at the way that the music was orchestrated, and I would listen to the soundtrack. Okay. Now on to Kizu Monogatari, which is part of the Monogatari series that Jason Oso loves, and I'm starting to grow into as well. So I watched Baki Monogatari the first time, covers five different characters, well, ma- main characters, because there's five different arcs. Uh, this one is one whole damn arc itself, because it's... One basically one novel, but split over three movies. So there's part one, Teketsu, part two, Neketsu, and part three, Reiketsu. Uh, now the English translations are iron blooded, hot blooded, and cold blooded. Um, as I mentioned in the first part, it roughly comes up to around an hour each for each movie, except for part three, which is an hour and 20 ish minutes. Um, the, the, the movie is great. It focuses specifically on. I think there's really like main like four main characters, and then there's like adversaries that come up in it as well. So you still have uh, the main protagonist, which is uh, Koyomi Araraki. Uh, and then you have uh, Subasa Hanakawa, uh, who is the cat in the first part, uh, and she has a pretty pretty like strong influence in the Kizu movie series. But the main one, the main focus of this whole series, this whole movie series. Um, that has like a very small part in the first part is Kiss Shot Azarola Orion Heart Underblade. Oh my god, you went through the whole name. Also oh. known as Shinobu. Uh, yeah, she's voiced by one of my favorite female like VAs of all time, by Sakamoto. I fucking love you. Uh, and like it was just awesome to see that like because anytime you talk about Joe, uh, not Jojo, you talk about like the Monogatari series and you talk about like best girls or people buy like uh figures from the Monogatari series. Shinobu is consistently one of like the top three. They're all she's there's always going to be like people who say that their best girl or waifu, however you want to call it, is Shinobu from the Monogatari series. But she didn't have much of a presence in the first part. In- Second part, on the other hand, she is the main damn thing. So Kizu Monogatari is the second novel in terms of uh, the Monogatari series light novel written by Nishio. But the movies were released way after most of the anime series had come out. Exactly. because of production hell and all that. So uh, I feel the need to go, sort of give everyone a bit of background info. So as Will mentioned, Kizu Monogatari consists of a trilogy of movies, uh, Iron-Blooded, Hot-Blooded, and Cold-Blooded. It talks about the Kizu Monogatari, which in um, 
the Monogatari naming convention, Kizu means、uh, injury or tragedy. And in this case, it. I'd say it's basically the main thing. Like、yes. there, like the main plot within the first part, especially when you see it, is literally a litany of different injuries, and then it just ends right there. And then you go into the second part, which is more injuries. And then in the third part, it's not, it's no longer physical injuries. It's emotional injuries, mental injuries. Just there's just a lot of hurt and pain throughout. All three parts of every Kizugunagatri movie, and I'll just say it: what a beautiful movie! So there is there there are certain parts, of course, with like as we talked about before, three D animation isn't exactly the greatest, but it's it's done in such short form that you just kind of just gloss over it. You focus on other things.、Um, the fight scenes are some of the best I've seen in any anime, and I'm also including any of the stuff that Yupo Table has done. So props to you guys, Shaft. You guys are fucking good at what you guys do, and the character developments and the stories. I mean, again, Monogatari itself means story, and just as much as JoJo is focused on the bizarre, Monogatari is very much focused on like the whole Monogatari thing as well. It's it's just basically like, the extreme of storytelling, and it does it in such a beautiful way to the point where, like I've said, there's only really like four. Main characters, and each character has like an equal amount of dialogue, monologue, and just like Jason said, if you if it's not what you like, then you will absolutely not enjoy the Monogatari's. I thought that I was not that down with it because of the amount of dialogue in the Baki Monogatari series, but once you start actually getting into it, once you start learning more about why there's these long expositions, why these characters need to go on drawn out monologues, you then find that. This is the reason why Monogatari is so good because it is a light novel series to begin with. So storytelling has to be its forte, and it is like the strongest point. Despite having all these crazy animations, fight sequences, and beautiful character designs, the storytelling itself is top notch, and it receives everything else. Before you see the wonderful color palettes, the compositions of all the different character fighting choreographies. The storytelling takes precedent before everything else, and that's something that I've learned to like, appreciate, and really enjoy during my Monogatari adventure. So, with Kizu Monogatari, even though it's the second book in the Monogatari series, it is actually a prequel that takes place chronologically before Baki Monogatari.、Uh, furthermore, it introduces very, very prominently, as we'll mention, Shinobu. Known as Heart Under Blade, I'm just gonna say Heart Under Blade rather than the full name. That's just crazy,、uh, but commendable that you went through the full name at least once. And、uh, the VA for、uh, Shinobu, I think, is fantastic because、uh, Shinobu goes through certain transformations, and her voice changes even though it's the same VA, and she goes. It's it's just fantastic. The other thing that I want to mention, as we alluded to several times already, is that it went through development hell. Yeah. So as of like 2011 in September, it was slated to have been released in 2012. But then in April of that year, 2012,、uh, the release date was pushed back. Then in 2015 October,、uh, they were ready to release the first film, and 
they essentially announced the date to be January 8th, 2016. So they finally managed to get the first movie out all the way through to the third film, which was then premiered in April 7th of 2017 in the United States. It then premiered in Hong Kong a month later. So the development hell was pretty rough for most people because whilst every other series within the Monogatari like novel line was actually coming out so we're talking like nisei we're talking about like the the neko blacks uh, and we're talking about all the other things kizu had taken its sweet time to be refined to be redone and then to finally be released five years after the initial announcement and i have to say if you were to watch kizu monogatari during that time right you can actually see why it took so long because the look and the aesthetics and the even the color palette is completely different than the rest of the Monogatari series. And it is just balls to the wall crazy the amount of art slash animation quality such that if you were like, oh, this took six years, I'll be like, yeah, it makes sense. We, we should pour one out or press F for the real-time fans who had to wait those long five years before you got to watch the Kizumonogatari movie because it basically threw out your watching order out of sync and finally, you know, five years later, you got to enjoy everything in the order that Nishio Isin wanted everyone to consume it. So if you remember the first several minutes of Bakemonogatari, maybe the first half of the first episode of Bakemonogatari, there was these quick splices of certain events that when you were to see that for the first time, you would not understand like what's going on. And then I told you that, hey, Will, that's actually Kizumonogatari. And you're like, what? And then now that you have seen Kizumonogatari, you should go back to watch those scenes and you will discover the difference of quality and look. But they're talking about the exact same events. And it's just crazy. The last thing I would say before I would uh, jump it back to you is Shinobu is probably my favorite character of the Monogatari series, bar none. Does that mean that I don't like my waifu Senju Gahara? Absolutely not. I love Senju Gahara way more. But the relationship between Araragi and Shinobu is, in my opinion, the most important thing, most impactful thing, and the most beautiful thing in Monogatari series, bar none. I mean, with with, with the amount of cast there is, with the amount of characters within the Monogatari series, it's, it's, it is very hard to pick up like one titular character or one main waifu main best girl that encapsulates all of monogatari um just as is the limited amount of characters that there are at least i've seen so far from baki monogatari through to nisei monogatari but it's been consistent that whenever there are at least top three girls it's always been senshikahara hanakawa and shinobu not necessarily in that order. Yeah, never in that order. Because, I mean, like, I, I thought I really liked Senshigahara. I thought I uh, amazingly loved Hanakawa. But then Shinobu, on the other hand, is like... She entered the scene. Ooh. I mean, you like, challenge in ter- in terms your approaches. Of, like, entering the scene, no. This is more just like, hey, like, you thought you were watching Monogatari? No, I am Monogatari. Welcome to the show, bitch. Like, this is, like, her moment to shine. And shine she did. Like... I mean, that's the whole point in watching Kizu. Like, Kizu is, like, she is, like, the main character of Focus. And it was just enjoyable all three and a half hours. Like, I just, I fucking loved the movies. I think I gave all the movies three, uh, all three movies 
nines. I may have even given like part three a ten. I need to check my scale, but it, for sure, it's like you you will not like miss a beat. You will like absolutely enjoy every single minute of watching the three movies of Kizumonogatari. Now, after Kizumonogatari, the next series in the watch order is Nisei Monogatari. Uh, now, as Jason has very kindly put together, as always, it's a portmanteau of Nisei Mono, which means a counterfeit, copy, duplicates, and Monogatari, which is like a tale. So definitely then it's like an imitation tale, a fabrication tale. And it very much like encapsulates what that particular series within Monogatari stands out to be. Um, now, as the third part in the series, it is actually in adaptation order, the second from Studio Shaft. So it came out uh, right after the Bonaga- uh, Bakemonogatari series. Um, and I... Um... Okay, okay, all right. So Nisei Monogatari, when it comes to the, the, the fandom of Monogatari series, you will probably find universally that everyone either does not like Nisei Monogatari or they just outright hate it. But I would argue that 100% of them would be like, but you got to watch it because it actually is quite important and there's a bunch of characters that are introduced and then it becomes way more important later on. So you got to watch it because it's part of it and it sucks, but it's not that great. It's really weird. It's also kind of horny, but you know. Kind of. I'm I'm, I'm being very uh, diplomatic here. Yeah, I mean, like... If you are up you, to, I mean, I appreciate you trying to defend it, but oh, I'm not let's, defending it. Let's, let's be real; it goes beyond just a little bit of edgy. It, it goes beyond just a little bit of culture. It is some of the uh, horniest shit you'll see in any anime. Really, uh, there is a very infamous scene. I think in episode eight, I think that involves a toothbrush. If you are up to date with your anime memes, it's it's not Damachi, by the way. It's not the dungeon uh, isekai or whatever the one that was with the two people doing the toothbrush dancing. Oh no, no, that's that, that's that, that's that's, that's that's not the, the infamous one. That's the famous one. Yeah, the infamous one on the other hand takes part within Nisimogatari. And um, yeah, so tasteful, uh, right? Very tasteful. Ugh, I, I, I gagged in my mouth, but it, it was very uncomfortable. We, we, we will have a bit of a spoiler section later on, which we'll go into in more depth. But the general consensus is, and I agree with it as well, that this is not necessarily the most important part of the Monogatari series. In fact, I would say that if you were to skip it, uh, and I think some people have, right? It's it's not like the worst thing you can too. However, it's still something that was written by Nishio Isin. And if you are the creator of this series that is so beloved by so many people... You're not going to give a shit, right? You're going to be like, well, this is still like the story that I want to tell within Monogatari. You are going to consume it. And because there's also elements that will then bleed into the future episodes, the future series of Monogatari, you should still watch it. And, you know, I, I watch it. There, there's definitely things you can enjoy about Nisa Monogatari. Now, it's just that the criticisms afterwards, like, kind of outweigh it. I don't hate the series, but there are certain things I saw which I wish I didn't see. I I also agree with that statement, but if you were to ever not watch Nisei Monogatari, I would understand, but if you absolutely don't want to watch it, the as Bokeh Monogatari split into several arcs, Nisei Monogatari is as well with uh the first 7 episodes being Karen B and the last 4 episodes being 
Tsukihi Phoenix, which takes place, um, was not takes place, which features the Aragi sisters. They're, uh, and one sister is the first seven episodes, and the second sister is the last four episodes. I yeah. would say that if you have to, if you have to, which I don't think you should, but if you have to, watch the last four episodes. That's way more important than the first seven. Yeah. Or if you want to go full completionist of the Monogatari series, just watch it. Yeah, it's, just, it's not. It's not. It, okay, it's definitely not the worst thing you can watch. It's not even worse or bad in general. It's just that there are certain things that will maybe turn your attention away from the Monogatari, from Misa Monogatari. Uh, but at the same time, it's also like we kind of glossed over these two characters in the Baki Monogatari series because we do know that Araki um, has two younger siblings, Karen Araki and Sukihi Araki. Um, now, they have a very bit part role within Baki Monogatari, non-existent in Nisei Monogatari. But then when you get into Nisei, it's full on Araraki sisters. And that, it, yeah, if you want to know more about them, this is it. I also feel that, uh, as Will mentioned, there is a, there's a lot of decent and or even good moments in Nisei Monogatari. I think the dialogue the very long dialogue between Araragi the and... whippersnapper kind of like comeback comedy um like kind of like derogatory of like making fun of each other like it there is still that and yeah. like you can definitely appreciate that there's but, just some more cultured elements in there that we'll go over later and nothing that encompasses one of the very well-known scenes between shinobu and Araragi so we'll get into that in spoilers uh the last thing that i would say is Nisei Monogatari has a new character that's called that's introduced, and it is not a female but a dude. And I have to say that this dude, I did not like this guy at all uh, during Nisei and and a little bit further on. But I would agree with a lot of people that this character is not only his importance becomes even greater later on, but is probably one of the best characters. Uh, in all of Monogatari. And I really like this character a lot. But when I was watching Nisei, I was like, the fuck is this? This is bullshit. This guy is, like, terrible. So I would say that Nisei Monogatari, I watched it. It's not great. It's the weakest. But to be honest, I still think it's good in the grand scheme of things. But when you compare it to the rest of the Monogatari series, yes, Nisei is the worst. But when you say comparatively to anime in general, I would say Nisei is still okay. Minus the really questionable stuff, which I think Will and I will get into in spoilers. Anything you want to uh, end the... No, I think we can then move on to the one of the most important things about uh, anime. At least something that I've slowly started to pick up because I, I'm a criminal of not really caring about uh, openings. Uh, for anime. Oh, but right, right, right. I yeah. think we can go into that now. Okay. Um, so, Monogatari, I mean, there really isn't all that much of an OP. I think the music in general is, like, fantastic, but there's other things I would like to say is more of a focus in Kizu, but in Nisei, uh, just like in Bakemonogatari, there are multiple openings. Three in this one, actually, because, I mean, with uh, Bakemonogatari being longer and having more characters of focus there was going to be more um, openings. So there were five openings in Bakimonogatari. Nisei, there are three. Um, so in order, uh, at least you know when they first came out, but they feature in uh, different episodes. So the first 
opening is uh, Futaku Tome, uh, which is sung by uh, the character of uh, Sinjuka Hara, um, the voice actress being Chiwa Saito. The second one is Marshmallow Justice, sung by the character Karen Araragi, uh, who is voiced by Eri Kitamura. And then the last one, the third one, is Hakin Disco, also known as Platinum Disco, by Skihi Araragi, uh, voiced by Yuka Iguchi. So if we were to do an opening order at the very bottom of that list, and again, by very bottom, I mean there's only three to choose from, so there's got to be one that's at the third, second, and first place. I have to put Futakotome as the bottom of the three. And the reason why is because if if you watched Bakemonogatri and you listened to Staple Stable, the, the 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 opening is exactly the same. It sounds almost exactly the same. The lyrics are different, but it sounds like like for like the chord progressions, the opening, the the the, the actual like major it it's in, there's almost no difference whatsoever. Will, uh, you made the same mistake with episode 20. Gotta watch them all one. You said staple, stable. It's the other way around. It's stable, staple. I, I don't care. <laughs> I never really cared about that song anyway. Um, I think I gave, I, I think I put it third in my Pokemon Gatri opening uh, ranking as well. Um, so quite apt that it also is third in this list. The second, I, w- I mean, w- w- what would your order be? Actually? Like, how would you have ranked the three ops for platinum disco is number one yeah that's it for me like marshmallow justice is number two button disco is, is the best of the three it's 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 fucking moe as shit it's, i i would not even say uh the other two ops are even close like it's i would even exclude them from the list i like would just say dance that he does in the beginning with like the little tutting of her arms and then afterwards like just just the the incredible quietness of the lyrics it's it's so good I absolutely love it. Yeah, that's why Platinum Disco how, is the how, best. How would I have ranked it in terms of in comparison to the Bakemonogatari series um, music? I would probably put it top three so far, but at the moment, I haven't really put everything into a list. So as this series develops, I will actually have like an official like halfway mark ranking oh. of the openings. And then at the end of the Monogatari series, I will give like the official top five, maybe even top ten. Uh, Will, I I have to apologize profusely because I did a quick Google search and uh, I was right. Even though grammatically it's not right, it is staple, staple, yeah. not stable, staple. So Suck um, I made a big fool of myself. There we go. That's why when I saw it, I was always like, nah, that's not it. It should be staple, staple. And no, it doesn't make sense. But in the world of Monogatari, what does, right? Um, so those were the rankings of the three openings. None of them are bad. It's just in the end that like I really, really much prefer Platinum Disco. And rightly so. It's, it's fucking great. Um, I think at some point, maybe in the halfway mark of this long journey, this marathon, we I, will, I will... I will have like a, a ranking of the different openings. It's, it's For probably, all of them, yeah. Probably more straightforward for JoJo. There's not as many. Um, there's but, only one and then like in the further parts there may be like a few more to choose from but like in terms of the amount of openings for the monogatari series there's already eight to choose from from bake and nisei uh, i will just say that the opening for phantom blood is better than the opening for battle tendency but the two of them are not that far apart in terms of like raw score quote unquote right? i i would absolutely put phantom blood's opening far above it is like the jojo anthem but at the same time like Jojo Part 2, the opening is, is also pretty decent. 
And then, of course, there's roundabout for um, the ending. Yeah, but of, that's the ending. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. we're not going to do that ranking. But you, you can't. That's also another very meme-worthy classic. Very meme-worthy. It is meme-worthy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So okay. All right. We're gonna take a not a break, but we're gonna give a couple seconds silence because what we're gonna talk about now is spoiler territory. Now, of course, we will have these timestamped in the episode, so you can refer back to that. But if you're just listening and not looking into the timestamps. This is the part where you're going to have to either pause and jump forward or choose to listen through because we're going to go over spoiler territory now and for JoJo Part 2, Battle Tendency, as well as the Monogatari series for Kizu and Nisei. And we'll do it in that order. So JoJo first, then Kizu, then Nisei. Okay? Right. All right. Yo, Will, that chariot race in Battle Tendency is fucked up, bro. I was waiting for you to tell me about that part because you were like constantly saying, like, wow, that guy just got stripped in half and he's still talking. Oh, okay. No, there's no, a, no. There's he a didn't Lisa, get stripped in half. There, half his body is gone and he's the still Lisa, talking. Lisa, the Lisa Lisa bathtub scene. Okay, right, right, okay. Oh, now they're climbing pillars like covered in lube and that's like their training arc. And then I was like, oh, tell me you're at the chariot scene. Please tell me you're at the chariot scene. And when you told me you're at the chariot scene, I was like, yes, that was my favorite part. In all of Battle Tendency, it was so fucking ridiculous. I like you. You have seen these kinds of crazy like wars, crazy crazy races. Like I mean, shit. We've watched like we we, we watched Redline, right? But this is like a completely different thing, and I, it was just balls to the wall, high energy testosterone, just ridiculous bullshit. It's so stupid, so stupid. Like. So stupid. Like, so I, I guess, like, when you come, I, I mean, there, there always is a ranking within the the JoJo fandom of which JoJo is their favorite. Now, you've only seen two so far, right? Joseph Joestar from the first part, and no, no, Jonathan Joestar from the first part, and Joseph Joestar in the second part. Between the two Joestars so far, like, do you have a preference? Yeah, I do. Right? Who, who, who's, who's at the top right now? Is it Daddy or the Son? Dad. I like Jonathan more too. I I mean I think Joseph is a very good character as well. The craftiness and that kind of cocky, uh, manipulative trickster kind of uh, mentality. He is, is he is that he is that like that embodiment of like uber testosterone monkey brain Giga Chad total monkey brain right? But somehow is the main character and somehow is so powerful. Which okay fine like I still think is a very good character. The other characters though. I think Caesar is awesome. I fucking love Caesar. I loved William Zeppeli from the first part and Caesar Zeppeli as well from second part. Um, it's the Zeppeli curse, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Jojo curse as well. Yeah, dude. Like, no matter what, you're always going to have some fucker chasing after you because your bloodline is precious uh, and therefore you need to be eliminated. So um, the followers of uh, Dio Brando, no matter what, they're going to be chasing you down. So, okay, about Dio... You know, from part one, the main villain, uh, he doesn't appear pretty much at all in Battle Tendency. Okay, that's fine. I was really surprised at the importance of vampires in Battle Tendency. Yeah. I thought, like, based off of part one, that, oh, is the vampire is just, like, a thing, and then the other future villains are just going to be, like, variations of... Uh, you know, not vampires, basically. But then they go heavy, heavy into this vampire thing. And the best part, or the worst part, is I don't think any blood was really, like, like no 
woman's or man's neck was like most of the time i think it was like vampires chasing after vulnerable women right and therefore because there was no women in jojo like there was almost no blood sucking no but, but the, there was a lot of like the use of like the sun and uv rays to be able to combat against these um these these vampires um and then of course there's nazi zombies as well yeah so i feel that uh the villains are just crazy the pillar men are just like okay like i because when deal was quote unquote vanquished right i would have thought that okay how are they going to introduce the new villains like oh the stone mask is going to persist right I did not expect it to be an entire fucking pillar and there's three of them and then the masks now have multiplied in terms of infinite and then it's just like, okay, so going forward. And then Speedwagon gets done dirty as well. And then gets not done dirty because then you find out that he's alive. And plot twist, right? Plot twist, yeah. And then uh, Lisa Lisa got done so dirty. I'm so mad at that. I do agree. Okay, so like back when you were talking about like how you were upset that there wasn't enough, I I wouldn't say female representation, but more the fact that like there weren't as many standout female characters. I I do get it because as much as it's a show that's focused on male characters, just like with the inverse of Monogatari, where the focus of the characters outside of Araragi, outside of Meme Oshino, outside of um whoever that a character from Nisei was um, Kaiki. Kaiki, yeah, it's very much focused on the female characters, right? But well, whereas Nishio does a very good balance that every character has importance, I I do admit that there is underrepresentation of powerful female characters, at least up until this point, for the JoJo Bizarre Adventure series. And actually, like underrepresentation, it is not necessarily a deal breaker in any context. But my problem with the character Lisa Lisa is she has been made out to be the sensei. She's been made out to be like pretty much so far the sole woman who can use Hamon, which uh, is the is like basically chi, right? So then she is made out to be this awesome, powerful woman. Then all of a sudden when it is her time to shine, her time to fight the big bad, she just gets backstabbed and it's just end of story. And like very much quickly, like made to be a damsel in distress, right? Like in the end, like she's the one that needs to be saved, even though like the whole revenge arc of how her husband had been basically compromised and then erased by um the, the by, by the foundation that she's like fighting against, and then she gets outcasted, and therefore she's been plotting her revenge after so many years, only to then be undone by one stab in the back, like. I can I get it, and it's not. It, we're not like trying to be yeah. like oh, like more rights, more representation for women. Like, if it was a guy, yeah. I would still be like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. In the end, it's just like the Lisa Lisa character line should definitely have been more fleshed out. Um, it would have been cool. I think in the end, it was just like there's a reason why the first part itself, which includes uh, the battle tendency, was not the most well received. But you could see that it built the foundations of what the other JoJo's built upon that so yeah I, I think like i agree there if if there was a change that it was to be made there would probably be like maybe like a, a, if, if it was an ova or like a side story or whatnot just to flesh out the lisa lisa black uh, um backstory because like it, it's like from her beginnings of when she did come on because she, there, she actually is a very important character within jojo 
right? Like she was the girl that was saved by the Jojo family, and then she basically learned how to use Hamon, and she's like one of the best users of Hamon, and you never really get to see her use it outside of the training arc. It's, it, I agree, it is disappointing. I think the other thing that's rather disappointing is uh, the character Susie Q as well as the ending. So uh, I, this is spoilers, so we're just going to say Susie Q comes out of nowhere at the end and becomes from a kind of whatever character to potentially a very important character because she went from being the maid of Lisa Lisa to now being the mother of the next Jojo. And that is already like... Do, where... do they reveal the name of the third Jojo? No, the they end? do not. They don't, so I won't say But they, I know it through just memes and just... You know, and also like the post credits at the end of yes. the Jojo. Uh, and um, Joseph does mention when uh, they go towards the future at the epilogue, they go like, oh, I don't get along with my son. And then, bam, like minutes later, they show his son. So, look, I, I, I don't understand that like she came out of nowhere and then all of a sudden becomes the mother of the next Jojo, which in it my just opinion... Seemed, it just seemed too convenient, right? Exactly. And then the last thing I would say is the ending which is all of a sudden Joseph is supposed to have this death, right? And then they were mourning his loss. Then he just rocks up and was like, yo, guys, what's up with that? I, I get the, the, the whole thing of it is like sometimes things just don't have to make sense, but there also needs to be like a, a proper closure to the series. Yeah. And like to be, it, it did feel rushed. I mean, like it, 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 there's no way to look around it. Like even I admit that like the ending for part two is probably the weakest. Yeah. And then they, they go through this. Like, if we talk about like the ending of part one, despite like how slow part one was, the ending of part one was really done well. It's very satisfying because you literally see, you see tragedy, but you also see opportunity. You see like a shining light. Whereas the end of part two is just like, Oh, well that's done. Right. Part three next. Let's go. Oh, it's like, Oh, um, this is a 200-page book, but we're on page 198. We have two pages left, but we have to end this, bro. Okay, we'll just have a guy monologue the the you know the the life journey of literally every other character under the sun, and then just ex- and then just have everyone expect that. Okay, accept it. That's fine. I Whatever. Mean, it definitely falls under the trope of anime and manga endings done badly. Like we've seen a lot of those, and JoJo Part Two definitely falls in that bracket. And the fact that uh, Suzy Q nursed joseph back to you know health i thought was probably the most unbelievable like how did that happen kind of storyline that sure you can have your uh suspension of disbelief but even then it was like the dude was in the middle of an ocean on a crater how the fuck but okay fine all right oh you didn't tell the rest of your crew your family that you're alive but you entrusted your wife to send a telegram and you never thought of you know uh following up on that like okay like i mean it's not a deal breaker it isn't it is just a very anticlimactic end to what is the most bombastic part the most bizarre part of jojo yet which is obviously there's only been two parts so far so it's not saying that much but it's it it just felt really blue balled in a way and i felt that like for like 95% of it, I was on board. I was on board with Lisa Lisa. I was on board with everything. And then I was like, but jo- Joseph is dead. But he never had a son. 
but we all know that the Jojo bloodline continues because, spoiler alert, there's multiple Jojo parts after part two, Battle Tendency. Like, that's not really a spoiler to say, but we included in the spoiler anyways. Like, I knew something was going to happen. I did not expect it to be that brazen, basically. But that's it. I, I mean, but overall, I still think Battle Tendency is way better than Phantom Blood. I still think Battle Tendency is pretty good and is a very fun ride for sure. It, it's hard to say, like, that much, like, bad about it in the end like it's still an enjoyable part of jojo um there's definitely are just some mistakes they made some things that they could have done better um and hopefully like as you watch war of jojo they start to pave over those cracks and actually improve the overall enjoyment enjoyment of it i mean when caesar died and got and got crushed by a, a stone slab and the stone slab was in a shape of a cross and then operatic music was playing in the background and the light was shining through the sun because, you know, it's it's metaphorical, Will. I was just like, I was clapping to no one. I was clapping at the screen because I was just like, this is JoJo, at least so far, at its finest, at its cheesiest, at its corniest, at its most bizarre. But, bro, you did it. You You pulled it off. Psych. Awesome. Good time, right? Should we move over to Kizu Monogatari now? Yes. Kizu, oh God, okay. So. Um, oh, oh, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. We need to pause first. Okay, well, Kizu Monogatari is fucking brilliant. Okay, like, when you start off by, like, I mean, like like you said, right, the opening scene for Kizu Monogatari, there's just, like, helicopters flying around, there's Araragi walking in the middle of the city, and all of a sudden he just bursts into flames, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, but go- then you think, but then you brought up the fact that like, if you actually think back on like how Bakemonogatari was presented with those little random snippets of like scenes that hey you should know about this but why haven't you ever seen it before and then you realize actually there's a lot of interconnection between the two parts because of the prequel sequel connection that they have it all starts making sense and I vaguely remember some of the stuff I watched from Bakemonogatari even though it was several months beforehand and then seeing Kizu it's like. Ah, that's what it's supposed to mean. Um, the main thing about Kizu, though, that's very different from uh, Bakemonogatari is that the, the the long exposition, the long monologues don't really happen as much now. And I think the main reason why is because Senjikahara is not in this part. Yeah, also the look is extremely different. Okay, not- let's, let's talk about looks first okay, okay. of all, right? Okay, before that, before that. Shinobu... Yeah, what a glow up when she becomes like twenty seven. Like she has three different ages, right? When she's like eleven, when she's seventeen, when she's twenty seven. Wait, those are the actual age. I think they talk about it in, in the movie. Yeah, I, sure, sure. Yeah, I if I remember correctly, they're, they're, they're basically adolescent, uh, teenager, adults. Um, I thought that Hanekawa was really stacked, and then Shinobu shows up, and I was just like, ah. Okay. Okay. This is yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm here for it. Actually, um, I think there particularly was... in part three of the three movies. Um, Wait, you I know th- exactly what scene I'm talking I, about. I think there's a there's it's the child. There's the teenager. Then there is like 
the adult one where like she like where, where you see her in the subway with her arms and legs like completely cut off. No, no I dying. think that's like the fourth one because there is her wearing the gloves that are red, and that is the third one. Well, the fourth one I guess would be like when she was doing the fight scene at the end, and that's then correct. afterwards when she then loses her powers. There, the the technical fifth one where she loses her powers, and then like she gets that ultimatum from Meme where it's like, okay, you can either live, but you'll never have your powers back, or you could just die. And it's like, I don't want either of them. It's like, well, then too fucking bad. I, I know we're jumping around, but since we're on that, the kind of compromise that Aragi, uh, Meme, and um, Shinobu does is the most tragic thing ever. It's like you have this whole half hour battle and then Meme comes in and just like, well, nobody gets what they want, right? But at least y'all get something. And everyone's just like, I guess, fine. Okay, I guess I'm going to have to stay a vampire. I guess you're going to have to stay alive, but you have to lose your powers. Like, and then, like, uh, like, but if you do this, then they die. If you don't do this, then they die. It's like, okay, well, what's the next best thing? It's like, okay, why not everyone just be miserable? And, and, uh, that, and that message, because it's Kizu, because it's about injury, it's about tragedy, is very... It's a, poetic. It's, it's poetic. so it's poetic because it is... The saddest, most fucked up thing, but not in, like, the bloody way, which will. will. This, the gore and violence in Kizu is... Oh, that fight was fucking great. How about it, when it, Hanakawa it, it, it gets disemboweled? It basically reminded me of, like, the, the batshit craziness of uh, Devilman Crybaby. Yes, because heads start flying and everything, right? And then, of course, like, Hana, I mean, like, you would never want Hanakawa to get injured, but at the same time, when she just gets, like, her gets just completely strewn out, like... Dude, that was fucked that up. Was, that was gnarly. And Ar- was really Aragi gnarly. had to, like, take her guts and literally, like, push it back into her body? That's, like, fucked up, Oh, bro. and also the part, I think it was at the end of um, the second movie when um, there, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, Kisha Underblade, Kisha Underblade, where then she's, like, why don't you go grab some snacks? Oh, Aragi. dude. And I was like, okay, sure. At that point, I was like, you guys are taking a long time talking about what it's like going to be when he no longer needs to be a vampire. He, she gives her power back. She gives his powers back. I knew there was going to be something bad. Like it was just, it, it, You could tell immediately that something was going to hit the fan. I did not expect that he would. she would then go and eat. Is, is it a Demeturgy? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. priest. The yeah. priest where like, she's just basically snacking on his fucking like disemboweled head. I was like, ooh. Oh, and ooh. then to make matters even worse, uh, Shinobu then tells Aragi, where is that girl that you befriended? Aren't we snacking on her together? And he flips the fuck out. Like, yeah. he he's like, you what? That, you- is, that is one thing that I, I don't understand yet, but I think that it's done purposefully where like, Aragi has such close relationships. It's like when you know that, like, oh, Senjukahara is the quote unquote girlfriend, but like he also, and this leads back into like episode part three, where he just like is infatuated with Senjukahara's body. Um, very, very infatuated. But at Wait, the you same mean time, Hanakawa? Yeah, 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 Hanakawa's body. Um, but then at the same time, is very much like pledging allegiance and I guess at times affection for Shinobu. Like, this is just a harem uh, series, right? Okay, so... It's like a faux harem, but it's basically been disguised with a bunch of crazy stories and superpowers. Let's talk about that fondling scene with Araragi and oh, it Hanakawa. Done, it was done so tastefully. It was the most uncomfortable, like, seven minutes of my life. Yes, the fondling scene took about seven to eight minutes, or ten minutes, or whatever. It was like... 
he really felt her up. Like, tried to. That, in the end, he, he I think in the end, the, he just got a, a high five or a handshake or whatever it was. No, uh, no, 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 no. Shoulder no. massage. He, shoulder massage. He, he fondled got, her, though. Like, like touched her boobs. No, like, he didn't. He, he he tried to. He didn't actually touch it in the end. Okay, okay, okay. Because he was going to, and then she was, okay, uh, but but turn around. Yes, but when you yes. turn around, I want you to say the following things, but like in a very sensual Dude, and overexcited so, voice. And I want so you to call bad. me daddy. And she's like, okay, no, daddy. No. Call me senpai, okay? Yeah, no. senpai. And then as he's about to go, he then stops. And then she's like, well, I guess you don't find me attractive then, right? I guess you made me do all that. And you're not following through. I guess you don't, you don't want this body anymore. And she's like, how about I just give you a back massage instead? He's like, fine. Okay, sure. Fuck it, let's yeah. go. Basically, just couldn't get it up. Like that. That's oh, it was. It was. It was as metaphorical as could be. Um, and racy as hell. Very racy. Okay. Oh God. Okay. But overall, like I, I'd say like if we talked about like a series of movies, um, it, it stands up there at the top. I, I really enjoyed watching Kizu. Um, cannot reckon it anymore. It's, it's just, it's just perfect. It's a perfect movie. Uh, I think the mixture of violence, aesthetics, animation, quality, uh, character interactions are all fantastic. Perfect uh, lengths as well. It's like if you're used to watching like long series on Netflix or on HBO, it's like th- th- it follows like, the exact same formula, just done in three parts. So it's like very quick and easy to watch. Uh, final shout out to uh, the voice actress though for. Uh, Heart Under Blade, known as Shinobu, but in Kizu, he's only she's only known as Heart Under Blade. The fact that each time her age jumps by eating uh the her to get her body back, it is all completely different in terms of tone, inclination, voice quality. It, it, it doesn't sound like it is the same person, but somehow she, the voice actress makes it all sound completely different but also the same person at the same time i it's fantastic i mean i i love maya sakamoto she's probably like i actually like her more than hanakawa hanakana like i i would say that uh, between the two i vouch for my because she voices some of my absolute favorite characters she's shiki she's fucking shiki from garden of sinners yeah man right like it's 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 hard to like look past her um but yeah, uh, I I can't you know give, stack any more praise on keys. I've stacked all of it already. Um, very very fun time. Okay, uh, pause for uh, spoilers for Nisei. I fucking don't like Nisei, but not for the reasons that most people. I mean, like story wise, it's fine. Animation wise, it's great. But could they not tone down the amount of? fondling rapiness that there is in Nisei Monogatari. Uh Yes. Everyone has that, including myself, have that thought. Because if you were to take all that lewdness out, so to speak, the story doesn't change that much or at all. Okay, fine. Uh, Kanbaru, she is just naked. But, like, that's just her nature because she's yeah. perverted. Yeah. But when you're talking about, like, the sisters... And Hachikuji, right? It's just like why, like why? Nanako is also like, I mean, she's oh she, she, she's racy and horny as fuck as well. So, so yeah, the first couple of episodes of Nisei Monogatari is the the weirdest thing to me because it's akin to those like RPGs that like, oh, I'm just gonna go visit everyone's house and hang out for a bit just to catch up. Oh, do you basically wink, wink, not not to the viewers like. 
remember this character, remember this character, remember this character, and I'm just like, yeah. You're you're basically playing a dating sim, and you're checking out all the characters which you know you're not going to set your main character with, but you're going to see them anyway because you might want to see some bonus scenes. And bonus scenes you do get. Yes. I will say, though, the opening for Nisei Monogatari I thought was pretty impactful in terms of Araragi being chained down and then Senjukahara showing up. I, I, thought, I miss Senjukahara. I thought that that whole, like, interaction was great honestly but that's like that's like saying like oh hey um this part was great but i'm ignoring all of this other stuff and it was also nice to see just a little bit of the break to, from from hanakawa i mean the fact that like we've seen so many panty shots and so many like boob fondling scenes from bakemonogatari and kizumonogatari that it was nice it was a nice change to give her a break and just let her... Uh, I will say one thing, though. I don't like short-haired Hanakawa. Oh, okay. Well, spoiler alert, Will, you're not going to like a lot then. Okay. <sighs> so, uh, I would say, though, in terms of Hanakawa, her interactions with Senju Gahara in Nisei is great. It's a lot more wholesome. Not just that, but, like, Senju Gahara kind of is, like, the sub, and Hanakawa is just, like, lays it on her. Like, bro... Let Aragi out now or else. And then you don't know, like, why. But somehow Senjukahara bows down. And is like, hey, okay, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll let Aragi go. Okay, okay, okay. And you don't know why. But then later on, you find out that uh, Aragi, out of nowhere, before he takes a bath, was like, Hanakawa, what did you say to Senjukahara? And she was like, straight up, she was like, oh, I said to Senjukahara, um, if you uh, don't let Aragi go, I'm going to steal Aragi from you. And sh- he will be my boyfriend. And he was just like, Okay, I'm going to go into the bath now. I'm not going to fuck with you ever again. You're scary. Speaking of baths. <laughs> okay, so my favorite scene in Nisei Monogatari is the dialogue between Shinobu and Araragi when he was taking a bath. However, it is the most uncomfortable thing ever, not because of the dialogue, but because what you see or what you don't see. Or you know what I mean, Will, right? There's just there's just so much wrong with Nisei, but it, can you fault Nishio as well? Like you knew that this was going to happen, and unfortunately, he's bunching everything into Nisei. Like literally, every single episode was at least like one fondle scene or one naked scene. And when naked, it's not exactly like the naked you want to see. I mean, okay, okay, okay. Look, how, how do we? How do we yeah. How, okay, this? so let's let's give some context. This scene involves Araragi taking a bath, and then Shinobu shows up for the first time in Bake slash Nisei in any great capacity, which means that she actually talks to Araragi. You actually hear her speak. I mean, we're excluding Kizu, okay? So in this dialogue interaction, they reconcile with each other, and they actually reach a mutual understanding. And not only that, but you start to see the beginning of their twisted kind of love and affection for each other. And I think that it, the dialogue is extremely beautiful. However, aesthetically see, uh, uh, speaking, you get little Shinobu prancing around. Base, it's, she's naked. But she is also an immortal vampire. Oh, yeah. Three, lived for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that counts. Yeah, because that's the typical Asian this, uh, this is, a- anime response. This is response, the very right? thing that people are like, what the fuck is wrong with anime? But, like, I'm I'm not going to apologize for it. Like, I, I don't think anybody needs to. Like, th- it, it's all done for, like, 
fiction purposes anyway. If you want to take it that far, then you can. It's just in the end, like, of course, watching it, I did feel uncomfortable, but like, I'm not going to be all of a sudden like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Nishio? Like, no, no, you, I'm not going to do that either. But uh, it's unfortunate for me, at least, that my favorite scene in Nisei is that um, scene i have mixed feelings about it because yeah. the dialogue is really good no no for sure it's it's absolutely like it 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 bodes well with the monogatari series in general like you want to have like not just long like monologues but you want to have those character interactions and those are like actually like some of the most memorable parts i mean the the most memorable parts of bakimonogatari is Senji Kahara and Araragi doing homework and then like her pulling out I think a mechanical pencil or a stapler and putting it towards his mouth again. Oh, like, you're talking to Kanbaru? Yeah. Oh, why are you calling her Kanbaru? The fuck? It's like those are the things that make Monogatari so good. Like I mean, of course, right? Like just like how bizarre is the right adjective for Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Like storytelling is the absolute modus operandi of the whole Monogatari series. And without it, I think that it, it's just a very, very lewd harem. Um, but the lewd harem part also is like, it's it's kind of like that that disgusting cherry on the top of the cake. Like, you know you don't need it, but like when you watch it, you're like, kind of kind of was okay with it. Except for maybe when the sisters are involved. The last three, four episodes where, um, let's just get the toothbrush scene out of the way. Um, shit is fucked up, yo. <sighs> Brush your teeth like for five minutes, and if you don't orgasm, then I win. And then you win. And if you do, then I win. Oh, yeah. And I'm seducing you by wearing a skirt for like the only time ever because I am a tomboy. And then, also speaking of which, um, I had no idea how tall Karen was. Oh, yeah, she's she's tall, bro. Fucking tall. She's tall every than most other characters. Um, and then of course at the end of the toothbrushing competition, she's like, um, well, um, you know, like, um, since someone came in and interrupted, we can always do a, a second competition. He's yeah, like, dude. Like, fuck. What the fuck? What the fuck? <sighs> And then at the end, when the whole like Phoenix, uh, what, what was the actual um, part called? Tsukihi Phoenix. Yeah. Okay. So like the whole Phoenix thing, right? The, the cuckoo thing, where because it's like the whole thing where it's like cuckoo birds come in, steal your eggs, and then plant their own eggs. So that's you know another bird can raise your child. This is essentially the curse that Tsukihi Araragi has. Um, when she finally awakens at the end, the only way for Aragi to make sure that his sister is, in fact, his sister, is to fondle her and to try and kiss, kiss her. her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't deny that. Yep. Yeah, that actually is real. Happened in the story. And you can't say that that is not the case. So- you, we see a lot of this shit in other anime and manga as well. I mean, like sibling love first cousin love um yeah we're not we're not gonna go that far into the i word but um really makes it hard with nisei man absolutely 100 percent hard okay the last thing i would ask is about the new characters that get introduced for uh monogatari series in nisei specifically i'm talking about kaiki which is the dude which is kind of like the fraudster then you get two women. You get uh, Yozuru, which is uh, hanging out with uh, Ononoki, 
the doll. What are your thoughts on these three characters, real quick? Well, they don't have a, as much screen time. I think like fully, they have around two to three episodes total. Kaiki comes in, comes out. Um, I would like to see their characters fleshed out more because that's the one thing about Monogatari that uh, I'm actually looking forward to. So far, you just see like the main cast over and over and over. Right? You got Kanbaru, Nadako, uh, Miyaki, Senjigahara, uh, Hanakawa, Karen's Kihi. Araragi and Meme and Shinobu as well. Wow, I just remember all the characters. Um, but then the, the other three uh, that show up in the latter parts of, uh, except for Kaiki, he shows up. I think quite early on, he shows um, she, he shows up for Karen B. Yeah, yeah but then he's like kind of here and then disappears, which it, it bodes well with his character. I think like we'll probably see more of that. Oh, you will. Yeah, you will. So uh, that's what I'm hoping for because. I, the, the thing with like with, with Monogatari still is that there like nobody seems to exist in this world outside of the characters that you already know, and each character has so much dialogue that like it makes sense. It's great that like almost each character each character almost has like the same amount of screen time and discussion time, which mm-hmm. is which is wonderful. I actually really like that because it gives you enough people to actually like connect with, and therefore if you have a best girl or best, well, I guess best boy there's not i'm assuming there's more boys that are on uh, but like when you have like a, a favorite character and they're all different it makes sense right? it's it, it, it like gives you the opportunity to fully explore each character's backstory and their purpose within the monogatari series so i like the doll ononoki a hell of a lot the yuzuru the the the, the sister the older sister so to speak I don't really care for her that much. Is it because you like the coup? I do like the coup, but she's yeah. also a very good character too because her uh, interactions with Araragi is pretty good later on. Kaiki is known as the best girl uh, by a lot of uh, people, ironically, but also genuinely. I found out why as well. I think that Kaiki is a better character than Araragi, period, in terms of if you look at the span of the Monogatari series, I think Kaiki is awesome. Right. But at the same time, though, like contextually with Baki Monogatari, Kizu Monogatari, Nisi Monogatari. Dude is a that, scum. That That's hard to say right yeah, now. Dude, like, you have to vouch for Aragi because of how much screen time he has. But once you consume everything else, I'll probably have a better idea of how to judge each character. Yeah, like Kaiki right now is just some scum that is very like, oh, you're just justifying your actions. He did the sisters dirty, man. Super dirty in terms of tricking them. So there is no redeeming factor from Kaiki right now. And I get that because I had that same opinion as well. But at the same time, it's also like the way that it's written is like, especially with all of the Monogatari series so far, it's really hard to pick out like an absolute protagonist of an absolute antagonist. It's like the, the, the character, like, roles within Nishio's work is very very well done because a lot of times it's like you would think that okay Shinobu is absolutely the villain of Kizumonogatari but like is she really is there like another power behind that like she actually has no control whatsoever and it turns out she's just doing her part because that's what her existence stands for and is Araragi really like the pure antagonist protagonist but he himself is also like taking on the power that came from this aforementioned quote-unquote antagonist it's it's i i like that there's like a blend of what characters are supposed to do what they're supposed to represent it's not as clear-cut 
as as as, as JoJo, for example, like JoJo, you know exactly who the hero is to you a comical exactly. degree too. It's yeah. like they it's, make it so clear, especially this is like if you couldn't see it, you will definitely hear it based on the music as okay. well. So I, I, I mean, we're going back to talking about JoJo. I'll just say real quick in the first episode of Battle Tennessee. So I think that's episode ten. It involves uh, two uh, police officers with uh, antagonizing one of the supporting characters of Battle Tendency. Smokey Brown, right? Yes. Smokey Jackson, Smokey Brown, I need to remember. And uh, then the the two uh, police officers are just the most comical, cheesy, generic. They even call them, they even call it, oh, you call us pigs? And then they like wipe their boogers on them. And it is just like, guys, like, I get it. You're bad. Like... Chill, like stop. We 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 get the point. Like it, it, it in, in in many ways, like Monogatari series is like the perfect foil exactly. for JoJo because, first of all, male characters in JoJo, female characters in Monogatari, very very long backstories and expositions within the Monogatari series based on storytelling, and JoJo is a lot of fist work and and action and like explaining of the powers and the reasons why one is hero one is evil uh and then of course you then have like like it's it's not that it's muted colors but it's like a very smooth color palette with monogatari like i like the juxtaposition they have from flickering lights and opposite colors whereas jojo is just like pure vibrancy oh uh my shadows in jojo we're just gonna color it purple uh, yeah. but, but 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 shadows are universally drawn no, as black no no. no 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 guys guys he will look under the light as green hair but really he's yellow hair but no but that doesn't make any sense uh uh david production but fuck it like you 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 have to admit that like with regards to nishio and shaft and with araki araki and david productions like they are like perfect matches for what they're trying to represent like you cannot. I mean, that they've been doing consistently, like JoJo for like David Productions, Monogatari for Shaft. Like you could not have asked a better studio for each property to be done. All right. Uh, before I get into housekeeping and end the episode, will now that you have consumed everything uh, up till now, which is Bake Kize Nise, uh, what do you think the next leg of your journey is going to look like? I'm half expecting there to be more characters. I think that like this is like a slow progression into like the Monogatari series where like you get to see more beyond the main five girls and Araki and Meme and Shinobu from uh part one. Uh later on, I think it's is it Neko Black? Right. So Neko unfortunately the way that Monogatari is structured is that there are three parts to the whole main storyline. And uh, Will has consumed almost everything in part one except for Neko Black, which consists of uh, four episodes, I think. And then uh, afterwards, that's when the second season of Monogatari officially starts, right? But then there's also like Neko a, White. A, a little like jumbling of which parts to watch first and all that. Yes, uh, because the second season is you have to stop in between for Hana got Monogatari. So the. Even though Will and I wanted to consume all of part one and cap this off, unfortunately, the consumption is too skewed such that we decided to bridge the two Nekos together so then it ties in better as part one to part two. Of 
and in a similar way as well with Jason going into part three, which is Stardust Crusader for uh, JoJo, there's four curs. It's 48 episodes. So it's too much to ask for him to watch all of that prior to doing the Gotta Watch a Ball third episode. And not just that, but to really talk about 48 episodes, it's, it, it, it's it, doing it, everyone it, a it disservice. Would, it would be a four-hour episode. We don't want to do that. So what we're going to do with me for uh, season... Uh, no, part three, season two of... So weird. So weird. Uh, we're just going to call it Stardust Crusaders, right? Yeah. Okay. For Stardust Crusaders, 48 episodes. We will split it into probably two two three parts yeah i think i have an idea of how to split it up um probably two parts and then i'll also watch like an equal amount of the rest of season one and then second season of uh Marnagatari. um i'll leave it to you to sort of let me know like which parts i should consume prior to gotta watch them all three but fear not because we will let you know in the episode title for gotta watch them all what we will consume the last thing that we would mention is we will we decided as uh, co-hosts to do two Gotta Watch Them All uh, episodes per podcast season, such that uh, we would consume everything uh, at a faster pace instead of, for example, doing – because it would take like like years and years and years. Yeah, this actually would be a good opportunity to ask you know, the listeners, people who follow us on our websites, our Facebooks, uh, our Twitters, or even you know just you have our emails – just let us know like if there is a long standing series that exists beyond two or three seasons multiple curves that you think we can cover throw some suggestions i'm sure jason and i both have ideas of what to consume but it wouldn't hurt to see like a wider list of what everyone else wants to listen to and because we are now kind of double our speed of consumption so then we have two of these per podcast I thought for a minute you were doing that as a slate on me where like i speed up the amount of time i watch my anime well, well you're being too paranoid bro yeah but again i'm it's not everything because unfortunately crunchyroll does not allow for me to speed up anime it's, only netflix does it's almost like uh crunchyroll is telling you don't do that bro uh, i guess hey man one 1.25 speed is not that bad two times speed i get that is chaotic evil all right that is the end of episode 29 of the Good Anime Oof, Palette that was podcast. A, that was a doozy. You can always reach us through our email, gapalette at gmail.com. That's G-A-P-A-L-E-T-T-E at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word. You can also contact us on Twitter using the panel, uh, using the handle at Palette Good. That's capital P and capital G, all one word. We have a Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash Palette Good, capital P, capital G, all one word. We have a website. And uh, it's great, really. You should check it out. I put a lot of time and effort into it. You really did, yeah. www.goodanimepalette.com, all lowercase, all one word. You can join us on Discord, and you can also uh, join us on our Mal Club. We would like to have uh, hear our feedback from you guys, positive and negative, and just like chat and hang out and just get to know one another. Music credits for this episode. Our intro music is No Cry by Fashion. Our brick music is Be Right There by Omie. And our outro music is Future Vise by Kyo. Our music was provided courtesy of EpidemicSound.com. If you are interested in using Epidemic Sound as a service, we'll have a referral link for you that is provided in the show description. Will, how does it, how does it feel, man? I think that like it, it's good that we're able to finish all this, but I do need to take a little bit of a break from anime considering i think you you might even want to take a bit of a break from manga considering that like i probably watched just as much amount of anime as you have read 
the amount of manga. I've read so much manga. But hey, Will, you have something in your possession now that you can marvel and look at. Yeah, for... this is going to be taking up the bulk of my time now rather than watching anime. I'm going to be uh, looking into uh, artwork and uh, a little bit of history into the JoJo verse. Um, I, I think this is like edging on to close the completion is part. I haven't I haven't finished uh reading most of the manga yet. Um I'm still waiting for most things to get published in English. Um but at the same time like I'm just happy that the new seasons are getting updated. I'm super stoked to watch the Stone Ocean part two. So let's just bring it all man. I just want more JoJo. Uh and I'm sure for you as well it's like now that you've done like you've you've gone through all of uh Monogatari, um you're now just waiting for the other seasons, the other arcs to be done as well. Right? I'm, I'm telling you, they better fucking do it. Shaft better fucking get on there. They, they, please. They're still an active studio, so they definitely have something going on in the works. It's just a matter of uh, when Nishio wants to get these things done and adapted as well. Uh, studio Shaft, I know Madoka Magica is earning you a lot of money, and it does look really nice. I don't care about it, though. So please just give me Monogatari. But if you cannot, which... Why wouldn't you? Uh, I will settle for March Comes in Like a Lion Season 3, please. Okay. Oh, yeah. I need to finish that, too. Oh, God damn. So much to watch. Okay. Well, nonetheless, thank you very much for joining into today's uh, episode of the Gotta Watch Em All series. This is episode 29. Uh, look forward to the next episode. Uh, and then, of course, when episode 3 of the good, uh, not the good, the Gotta Watch Em All series comes out, be prepared. I am super stoked to talk about more JoJo, and Jason's super stoked to talk about more Monogatari. So until then, we'll catch you later. Later.